This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy days are here again. It's Wednesday, uh, January 24th. The gang is gathered. Terry and Jeff. Woohoo! Hump day. It is hump day. You're halfway through the week. Unless, of course, your week begins on Sunday or Saturday. Huh? Hmm? You're confusing me. I know. Sorry about that. It's too early. Hey, uh, great uh, stuff to talk about today. B- by the way, um, if apparently Mueller's you know, closing in on Trump. Crazy... Uh, headlines. Jeff Sessions apparently has been interviewed now. I, I don't think he's closing in. I think he's just showing his work. Yeah, but now what's happening, we're getting to the big interviews with the bigger players. Or have they already happened? That's the scary thing. So apparently he uh, is getting closer to be ready to talk to the president. But if you're going to interview Maybe. the president, that's a big deal. Yeah. So is he Maybe tipping this thing his is hand? over. Well, maybe we're getting close to having well, this done. What's interesting is Whenever the White House makes a comment about how they wish this was over, they have other things to do, it's such yeah. a, that kind of comment, they always talk about collusion. They never talk about obstruction. Right. They go, oh, there was no collusion. I'm like, okay, great. But Mueller seems to be focusing on obstruction of justice, and they never talk about and this, that. Because... This may go back, I guess, to the Comey thing where he, yeah. had, he wanted Comey to fire somebody and Comey didn't. Is that what it was? And he applied a little pressure. Or even uh, Jeff Sessions recusing himself, and that was over. Yeah, because he did just an interview Jeff Sessions. So, uh-huh. so boy, that'd be interesting. Not about collusion with Russia. What about just obstruction of the the Justice Department? Wow. Yeah. This is, uh, but hopefully, it's kind of getting close to wrapping up. Why is that? Well, because then we could talk about something else. Like what? Like a morning tweet. Ugh. The latest morning tweet or. Or how about the economy that's booming? Mm. Mm. Why do you guys act like it's not booming? It's booming. We could talk about the Academy Awards. Mm. It's something okay. else. We could talk about the Super they Bowl. They nominated Boss Baby. I know. They also nominated Ferdinand. They did not <laughs> nominate the Lego Batman movie. Well, have you seen Boss Baby? Yes. No, it on makes purpose. my grandbaby very, very happy. Well, but, but for an Academy Award, yes, seems a bit much. Do you know how hard it is to get a baby to act in an entire movie in a diaper and a necktie? Matt, Matt, huh? It was computer animated. Yeah, and kids just like that movie because they get to see a lot of naked baby bottoms. Well, yeah, which they think is funny. No, that's that's good for ratings. Cute little babies. <laughs> um, well, anyway, I, I think it might be good news for the country that Mueller is, you know, getting the final big interviews in. And then once that's done, just tie that all up with a bow. Russia bad. America good. Hmm. Limited to no collusion. But they can prove, yeah. Bad mistakes by many. I think people tried really hard and couldn't figure it out, but whatever. Yeah. Then we can get back to just executive time and solving the world's problems. Right. I mean, that's uh, that's one problem the president's facing right now. Another problem he's facing is now Chuck Schumer's pulling off the table the idea that he's going to pay for the wall. Or he already did. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I thought we were getting somewhere with that. No. I thought Mexico was paying for it. Well, yeah. We're just, we have to build it and then we send a bill hmm. to Mexico. 
Do we have a collection agency of some kind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's some law firm. They just start Papillon, Papillon, and Leibowitz. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say. That's the group. That's some wits. Hey, There's by the way, I think you brought up Boss Baby yeah. because of the story about everybody on Twitter that's furious yeah. that Boss Baby was nominated, right. but Wonder Woman wasn't nominated yeah. for anything. What about oh. Wonder Woman? I'm Hold like, on. on. Wonder Woman wasn't nominated no. for anything? No. Come on. Really? What, 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 uh, what, come on! What was exciting in that that should have been nominated? Uh, the Lasso. Okay, that was all right. Right, but how was it any different from any other like, Marvel movie? That Guardians came out, of the Galaxy Two got some technical stuff, I think. For, yeah, for their CG. But I mean, it's you're just who can play with the computer better than the other movie and make I, something I thought, looks great. Uh, Wonder Woman had a great like fighting war or fighting yeah, scenes. Sure. Yeah, but isn't the enormous box office numbers that Wonder Woman did? Isn't that enough to? To feel validated? You know what? I don't know. There's a lot of women that feel invalidated by that. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just saying. <sighs> you know what? Honestly, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of yes. felt that. <laughs> it's a movie for crying out loud. Yeah. It was fun. We give it. It's we done. give our movies way too much, you know, power. Through some promo process, I got the movie for free, so I have it at home. Really? I haven't watched it. What? You haven't watched it? Yeah. It's great. Well, I watched the movie in the theater. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't watched it at home. It's sitting on my... I've watched it at the theater and at home. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's there. I just can't get over the lasso. What about it? A lasso of truth? Are you kidding me? You keep talking about the lasso. I think it's neat. It's been, and, around, it's been around for a while. It's not a new concept. The airplane. The well, airplane that helps you... She didn't... The invisible airplane? No, yeah, I want that to come she, into the next one. She jumped I'm on sure a, it will. jumped on a boat with Chris Pine and floated to London. Apparently, well, she'll because she's new to all this technology. Oh, now. okay. But in the next probably couple movies, she'll be driving. She'll be flying. She'll probably have a Tesla. If yeah. We're honest. Okay. I mean, if they're still around, <laughs> she'll have a Tesla. That's funny. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? High school shooting in rural Kentucky left two people dead, nineteen injured, fourteen with gunshot wounds, according to the uh, oh, state's wow. governor, Matt Bevin. The shooting suspect reportedly in custody. Well, he is in custody. The incident occurred at Marshall County High School in Benton, Kentucky, about 120 miles northwest of Nashville. Mm. Survivors say the shooter was determined. He knew what he was doing. The 16-year-old boy who opened fire at a Texas high school on Monday has been charged with two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon as a juvenile. He currently He's in custody. He shot a 15-year-old girl in the cafeteria. She is currently recovering in a hospital. Authorities still don't know how he obtained the gun. There have been 11 shootings in 2018 so far. Mm, wow. School shootings. Hold on, and we're only on the 24th. 11 of school the month. shootings so far, yes. It's a school shooting every other day. There's two on Monday, and then the one yesterday. Wow. President Donald Trump last year reportedly asked the FBI acting director during a private meeting whom he voted for in the 2016 presidential election. This Hmm. is after, of course, the whole firing Comey thing, and you put the new guy in, and then you bring the guy in for a how do you do, and you say, who'd you vote for? And? The Washington (laughs) Post. The Green Party. The Washington Post reports that Andrew McCabe, that's the... FBI acting director's name found Trump's question disturbing. Trump also reportedly was mad that McCabe, uh, he was mad at him over a donation that uh, McCabe's wife received from a Clinton-friendly PAC. Oh, wow. His wife, I believe, is a politician. He said he didn't vote. Yeah, just didn't vote. 
because it's kind of difficult to work in that job and then vote. But it's kind of a lot he, to do that day. But the president crossed the line because there's just certain questions you don't ask people. Well, you don't ask the director of the FBI. Did you basically saying, "Did you vote for Did me?" Did you vote for me? I'm going to color all my next but questioning. He was new. You know. He didn't know. He he was new. He didn't know what he was doing there. Right. What's wrong with that? I mean, I mean it's just like asking somebody what their weight is. What's wrong with that? How much? How, how much you weigh now? <laughs> you look a little. You look heavier. Yeah. Don't the holidays that. were good to you. Okay. <laughs> Special Counsel Robert Mueller reportedly wants to question President Donald Trump in the coming weeks about his decision to fire FBI Director James Comey and former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Mueller's team is in part investigating potential obstruction of justice, in particular with regard to Comey's firing. According to the Washington Post, lawyers for Trump will soon submit negotiating terms for a possible interview with Mueller. Earlier Tuesday, it was reported that Mueller's team interviewed Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Also, leaders of the U.S. Intelligence Committee have already been interviewed. CIA Director Mike Pompeo, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats, and National Security Agency Director Mike Rogers. Hmm. All of them. Just, it's a conga line. It really is. <laughs> Everybody gets a chance. Also, the fiancé of George Papadopoulos. He's yeah. the first guy that was indicted in all right. this. Uh, back in over the, the guy, summer, the coffee guy. He was the guy that was at a. He was inebriated at a, a bar in London, talking to an Australian Loose diplomat lips, about yeah. we have all this stuff on Hillary Clinton, and the diplomat talked to the FBI, and that's how it all started. Yeah. Apparently, the former Trump campaign advisor, play, who pled guilty in October to lying to the FBI about his Russian contacts, is cooperating with Special Counsel Robert Mueller, saying his fiance is saying he is being miscast. Hold on. His fiance, so Papadopoulos, the guy that's yeah, been indicted, being, his fiance is saying he's being miscast in the media. So he's not a, a, a drunkard at a bar in London with loose lips. Well, that, that might be all true. But his and he's role not the coffee boy that just run, no, no, runs no. and gets coffee. He's much more important than the coffee yeah. boy. You can't his, say miscast. You can only say Ben Affleck was miscast as Batman. You're not going to get into more movies. Well, I'm so just saying it's, he's not yeah, using yeah. the term correct. She goes right. on and says, I believe history will remember him like John Dean from the Nixon Watergate really? situation. Okay. She's in a, her name is uh, Simonia Magnete. She's Italian born. Uh, referring to the former White House counsel, John Dean, who yeah. pled guilty to his role in the Watergate cover-up and then became a key witness against other aides to President Richard oh, Nixon. Hold it. Yeah. So the girlfriend yeah. to the guy is saying he's not just some coffee boy no, that no, was no. hardly important. He right. is uh, he is a person in the know who then turned evidence against mm. the White House yeah. and brought down a president. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so she, Dean told Nixon in 1973 that Watergate was a cancer in the presidency, warning Nixon that he, it was uh, an existential crisis that could imperil yeah. his term in office. George, uh, the fiancé goes on saying, George Papadopoulos is very loyal, and he is on the right side of history. Who uh, got? They, they've been engaged since September. Maybe. She herself was interviewed by the Mueller team because she has connections to key players yeah. in the whole maybe, situation. Maybe she's... Not wanting Bias? to say this out loud. I mean, oh. this is it's pretty it's pretty damning evidence, like like what she's saying. Allegedly. But without like, saying anything. Well, he's like Dean. She didn't she says he's like Dean. There's more to come. Which says that this is like Watergate. Yeah. From somebody in the know. But 
I'll bet, yeah. But she, again, she didn't say anything because the investigation is ongoing. There's certain things she can and can't say. But, you know, it's She's one of these things where I know something, but I'm not going to tell you. But we'll do a whole article on Everybody it. Everybody around the president talks. That poor yeah. guy. <laughs> he just can't win. Even if he didn't get himself in as much trouble as he does, everybody else gets him in trouble. Yeah. Maybe they don't know that you're not supposed to talk. Come on, everybody. Be quiet. Wow. And uh, and finally, on a lighter note, millennials yeah. might not be in the dire financial straits that many assume. A new Bank of America survey shared with USA Today finds that a decent number, 16%, already have a solid nest, eggs of, nest egg of six figures. Wow. And most are following a savings plan. Five key findings from the survey. One in six, or 16%, have at least $100,000 saved. Double the percentage from 2015. About uh. half... 47% have at least $15,000 up from 33% in 2015. Yeah. And less than boomers who have, uh, let's see. Boom! So nearly two and three, 63% say they are saving, about the same as Generation X, who says 64% of them are saving, and less than boomers, 75%, say that they are saving. You're well, a millennial. Right. The only difference is... They're all living in the basement of their parents' That's home right. with a hundred grand in the bank. More than one, Smart. In, more than one in four, twenty-six percent work in the gig economy with short-term work, meaning they're largely out of luck in terms of four hundred one k's. Yeah, sixty yeah. percent uh, feel financially secure, though the top stressor, thirty-five percent, is not being able to save enough. Hmm. Do you remember when Jeff thought he worked? He, remember when he thought that the gig economy was the jig economy? Yeah. And he used to think just by doing a little dance, he could make a little money. He danced. I've made sort of... lots of money. Did Aren't you, you going to ask me how much money is in my bank account? That's just another question that is not rude to ask. Hey, how much? So how much money is in your bank account? I have Jeffrey? no idea. My well, wife is the accountant. Let's text your wife. Find that out. <laughs> how much we got? How much money we got there? You're not even a millennial, though. No, I'm not. You tried to be right there. So there's some other nuggets in this survey. Okay. So they believe, millennials apparently believe the stereotype. So what we just shared, the numbers show that they are saving. Yeah. They seem to be a little bit more intelligent than we're giving them credit for when it comes to their money. Yeah. Uh, It says millennials believe the negative stereotypes about their generation. 73% say their generation overspends on unnecessary indulgences like avocado toast. (laughs) What? 75% say they overspend compared to other generations, which isn't necessarily the truth. 64% say their generation is not good at managing money despite maintaining the same rates of saving and budgeting as older Americans. I didn't know any of these myths about the millennials and their money were out there. I haven't heard as many of these. Right. Speaking of guacamole and unnecessary indulgences, would you consider guacamole salsa and unnecessary indulgence yes i saw it at costco yesterday and was this close to buying it. by the way we weren't talking about guacamole not at all well you said avocado toast so guacamole salsa no mm, different it's category. the same thing no nope, different category the future of work their opinions there millennials are more likely to ask for raises than their parents or grandparents 80 percent of those who That's ask great. for raises actually get them Eighty percent. Apparently, raises are just everywhere. Just go get them. That's just, the news. all you got to do is ask for them. Forty-six percent asked for a raise in the last two years, compared to thirty-six percent of Gen Xers and thirty-nine percent of Boomers did the same. Man, so more like, and more, just kind of they feel more confident in doing that. It's, it's like there, supersizing your meal. If you just if they ask you, you'll do it. Does it have to do anything with this this sense of entitlement that everybody feels millennials have? That might be a stereotype. And by the way, it may even be accurate, even according to them, but they have, even if you feel entitled, if you ask and you get it. 
then you are entitled. And this one says 23% expect to work eight or more jobs throughout the course of their careers. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, Jeff's have worked eight just this year. That's a good point. If, you're, if 80% are asking and getting it, then they are entitled. Yeah. it's a good point. So it's not even that they're asking for something that they don't need to ask about. I mean, they, they obviously deserve it. I'm giving you a raise now. Yeah, I think we don't understand the millennials quite. I don't think we understand your age group, Jeff, quite like well, we should. Well, it's not my age group, but uh, um, anyway. uh, More power to you. If you can actually put away $100,000, $200,000 in your bank account and still live at home with mom and dad, why not? And ask for a raise and work in the jig economy. <laughs> That's funny. I love me the jig economy. You mean the gig economy? Hey, um, do you feel like when you left high school, you were career ready? Absolutely not. Do you feel like when you left the university, you were career ready? Absolutely not. It's it's a strange thing. <laughs> At some point, we've got to be career ready, and yet um, I'm not sure. A lot of people believe that our high schools are preparing kids to be career ready. So when they leave high school, they should be able to go get a trade job or some career. And that is a myth. That is an illusion that we're going to try to blow up with our next guest that's coming up. I think you need to have that transition from high school to college where all of a sudden you have all the responsibility. It's up to you whether or not you're going to go to class. And if you can pass that test, then maybe you're ready. But, but if you're like me, I failed miserably when I made that transition because I just realized, oh, I don't have to go to class today. I'm oh, yeah. just going to sleep in. Wow. I'll just I'll just withdraw from that class. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just drop out of college. Wow. You had a hard it's very slippery year. slice. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's but I guess it's one thing to have to be you have to be mature. Right. So that some of that might just be your maturity. But what about your ability to actually go get a job and get a, jo- a career going? I mean, should it be at the end of high school, you should be able to leave to do that? Or should it be that you actually need to go to college to do it? Because the problem is. Only 50 percent, I guess, 50 percent of our youth even go to college. Wow. So we're, wow. we're, setting, up a, we're setting a precedence that's not very good probably because what about the rest of them? And, and they're not leaving ready for a career. Just knowing, and they're not going to college. Just knowing the high school graduates that I know, there's no way that they're ready for a career. Yeah. But is it maturity or is it ability? I think we, it's both. We can teach skills. But I remember in my high school, you could work in auto shop for three years. You could take auto shop class. So by the time you left, you could know a lot about a car, mm-hmm. a lot, and probably go get a job or at least go to a certificate program and get a certificate to work on cars. I think it just depends because you have the students that are – Consistently meeting with counselors that are already on a track. They're probably already taking college courses. Yeah. Those kids are probably going to be okay. But if you're like me and you're like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, know I, I, I work do. at In-N-Out Burger. But I want to do that, voice work. <laughs> I want to do voice work. All right. Well, we'll get into it. Up next, uh, we'll be talking about career ready out of high school. Why the nation needs to let go of that myth.
While the stated end goal of K-12 education in America for students is to be college and career ready, the reality is the existence of career ready high school graduates are a myth. Uh, joining us to talk about it is uh, Dr. Anthony Caravalli. He's a professor at Georgetown and currently serves as the research professor and director of the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, a position he's held since the center was created in 2008. And uh, Anthony, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, let's let's give a grade. Um, a, B, C, D, or F, how how well are we preparing our kids to be college and career ready as a stated goal? Well, as a stated goal for high school, it's pretty close to an F. Is it really? Uh, it's We're that yeah. off. Well, about 20% of males, the boys, uh, can get a decent job. Let's say it'll pay... Thirty-five grand till they're in their forties, and then forty-five grand after that every year. But other than that, twenty percent of the boys who can still find uh, decent work in the old what we used to think of as the blue-collar economy, uh, nobody else really uh, is prepared out of high school to do a job. Mm. And there's a history to that. We decided, I think, quite rightly, in uh, 1983, actually, with a famous national report called "The Nation at Risk." Uh, to essentially give all American youth uh, an academic education. That is, you know, four years of English, uh, two years of a foreign language, four years of math, etc. So we decided to get everybody a good academic education through high school, and in the process we threw away vocational education, in part because it wasn't working very well. Hmm. Uh, Voc-ed jobs, uh, so, so, you know... Uh, that uh, kid you're talking about who could f- work with cars, well, now in order to work with a car, you've got to be certified. That's and true, huh? a lot of ele- electronics involved, and generally you get that through post-high school training now. So we've created something of a dilemma, which is everybody, we're trying to give everybody a solid academic education through high school, but in the process we've pushed career preparation onto what we think of as college, but is really sort of post-secondary education and training now delivered by lots of different institutions. So as we as we focus more on academic education over vocational ed, it, it seems like a problem, too, because a certain percentage, like a high, high percentage of people aren't going to go to college or uh, go further their education with technical college, right? Uh, a lot more than half the kids go, but more than half of those don't make it. Uh, so uh, we've got a situation where uh, if you look at the high school graduating class, about 40% of those kids, most of them may go on, uh, but about 40% of those kids within 10 years later, which is what we can measure, have not got a degree or a certificate, uh, which is to say they really have no post-secondary award. So uh, we've got a problem. There's kind of, it's almost half the kids, that sort of other half, mm-hmm the non-college graduate kids who are uh, being left behind. Is it, I assume, um, it, it also would go by, uh, there, there'd be some demographic support that it's probably more white children move on, uh, more minorities are less likely to get degrees? Well, one of the reasons we did this, and I think maybe the best reason we did decide to give everybody a strong academic education through high school is before that we used to do tracking 
I'm old enough to remember when all the girls were in home economics, the uh, boys were divvied up between what was called general education, which is just watered down, easy education. Uh, and then there were the uh, kids who were in the college track, maybe 20% of the kids. Hmm. Uh, so one of the things that happened in the 80s is people got tired of that. They got tired of tracking by race and by class. So uh, it was a good thing, uh, an ambitious idea and a good idea. It's just that we've got to, we got more work to do because it's not working for almost half the kids. Is it – what is it that makes it – I mean I guess part of it is like we're doing now is having the conversation and throwing it out there that our kids aren't leaving high school career ready um, and many might might even feel like they're not ready – they're not even college ready. Um, what do you what, – what, what are some proposals? What are some things that universe or schools, high schools should be doing as a result of um, what you're saying? Well, most – States and governors end up having to deal with this. That is, uh, they sit in their chair and they see that a lot of the high school kids aren't making it, and they know which ones and in which places. So your governor, Governor Herbert, is yeah. one of the leaders in this uh, domain, trying to emphasize technical education uh, after high school. That is, everybody doesn't have to get a bachelor's degree. And then secondly, uh, trying as much as possible to be to use what's called career and technical education. Vocational education got a bad name, got such a bad name that it kind of had to leave town and come back and change <laughs> its name to career and yeah. technical education. And But what that is is it's career exposure, and that's a good idea. That is, you get kids started in high school by taking two, three credits in some vocational area so that when they're ready to graduate and move on, they're, they've got some momentum. But it does mean they need to go on to technical institutes, training institutions, to, uh, two-year colleges, and uh, the lucky ones, four-year colleges, because in the end, by and large, the four-year college is really the full uh, college education. It's still the gold standard because it teaches you, it tends to give you a ma college major, and most of those are pretty practical. 80% of college majors now are attached to a particular occupation, about 20% in the humanities. So, hmm. uh, so building out that system, having succeeded to a certain extent in, in declaring ourselves committed to a solid academic education for everybody through high school. We're going to have to figure out how to build some new pathways. Yeah, in fact, I see it with uh, my kids and others that you now in high school they can actually go be taking college courses. They can go become a CNA or they could go become um, a surgical tech. You could actually get the certificate if you work. It's a hard. It's a lot of hard work, but you could have a certificate by the time you leave high school. I also see a lot of kids that are actually just graduating early. And um, I, in fact, just this week, my son had three of his friends that graduate. Actually, four of his friends that graduated early. One to go play college sports, and three to just that were just done with school. They were just bored with it, and are moving yeah, on. The, the the difference between high school and college, the, those those dividing lines are melting. They're starting are to they? merge. Yeah. yeah. Is that good? I mean, it seems like that's healthier, that if you could get out of uh, college earlier or actually leave college with – or leave – sorry, get out of high school earlier or leave college or high school with college credit, wow, it seems like a huge advantage to actually get moving on your career if you're more inclined to do that. 
Well, and it also allows kids to pursue different pathways according to their uh, ambitions and their abilities. So, yeah. yes, it is a good thing, but it's, it's getting complicated. Yeah. And it requires a lot of thought on the part of everybody involved. It, that's the thing, too. I'm wondering if it's there's a disadvantage to just the average student, maybe, whose parents have never gone to college or don't know uh, don't know how to work the system. Yeah. The, if you've got parents that went to college, the odds that uh, – and graduated, the odds that you will are about 80 percent. Uh, if you don't uh, – the odds are only about 35% that you'll get a bachelor's degree. Mm. We're speaking again with Dr. Anthony P. Carnavali, who is uh, he's currently serving as a research professor and director of the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. And we're talking about an article he wrote about career ready out of high school, why the nation needs to let go of that myth. Um, if, if we had a magic wand, what else would you want to do, Anthony? I mean, I, at some point, it seems like we, we really probably need to even reinsert technical education and, uh, and I guess, still maintain an academic education to get them ready for college. What else? There's also the whole maturity thing I hear a lot about as well. How do we help teach the kids to to grow up? I mean, we keep talking about more and more that they're not even of adult age until 25 now, I'm hearing. Yeah, it's a... Uh the answers are there. That is one general answer people are coming to is that, uh, as they say, 14 is the new 12. That is, uh, you do K-12 education and everybody really needs two more years either to get a good, solid academic education or to mix an academic education with uh, some kind of practical and applied education that will move them to a career. So, And then within that, there are tons of, not tons, but yeah. there are lots of experimentation. The AP course track is basically going to college, the advanced placement track. Hmm. The dual enrollment track, which you were talking about, is about going to college. Uh, the melding of high school and college is going on just about everywhere, which is why you hear more and more that we ought to make uh, two years of college free. That's true, huh? Now you do hear that. Um, so I guess we're looking at major changes, but I also see that uh, universities are – they're strange places where, you know, they have budgets. They need to make they, – they almost seem for-profit in a way. They've got a lot of uh, – they've got to keep pushing people through the university. How, how on earth do we get all of our educators on the same page to even discuss these things? One of the problems, and it's a big one, is the whole system is a set of separate silos. So we have K-12, we have higher education, and higher ed is basically a, a large array of mom-and-pop businesses. Most higher ed institutions stand on their own and have their own business strategy. So integrating uh, K-12 education through high school with what goes on after, uh, after is, a, is difficult in America, especially with the... Uh, fragmentation of our post-secondary system. So uh, people are, are hard at work on this. Everybody's kind of figured this out. Yeah. Everybody now knows that high school is not enough for the vast majority of kids, and so you've got to create some pathways from high school to something else after high school that will prepare them for the workforce. Does did you Do you see businesses, corporations, big business do you see them pushing on the educational system more? Are they demanding something different than they're getting out of our educational system, and does that matter? Yes, businesses, and this has been going on for a while, have been saying, and we finally all believe them, 
that they're not getting the talent that they need. And uh, they are pushing. They're a major force in this. Essentially what's happened is education reform was run by academics up until uh, the middle 90s, and then the businesses started to complain that they weren't getting the people they need. So they've been a major leadership force in shifting uh, the, the education reform movement a bit more towards practical application. So mm. businesses, their leadership is crucial in all this, and they can also contribute uh, and do contribute more and more uh, by giving young people internships while they're in high school, um, by exposing young people to careers while they're in high school if they don't give them internships. So the business community, this is very much in their interest. Hmm, absolutely. Uh, this is something, and it's something they know a great deal about. When we used to be reforming, say, K-8 education, businesses, business leaders don't know a lot about grade school. But when a kid hits high school, they're bumping into the labor market, and businesses have a lot to contribute there. That's great. Is... Um I guess, too, I always see that there are innovators. There's probably schools out there and groups that are that are maybe on more on the cutting edge of this. Are there examples out there of, of schools or states that uh, are really way ahead of this curve and are doing a great job? And what are they doing so differently? Well, we're we're experiencing one of the things that's good about the American federalist system is and that is that the states and local communities are becoming laboratories of democracy and innovation. So we have states like Colorado that are trying to install internships uh, as well as apprenticeships that begin in high school. We have states like California that are doing what's called linked learning, that is they begin exposing young people to careers and try to help them create a pathway that looks beyond high school. Uh, getting them to think about, okay, what am I going to do after I graduate? Places like Chicago that are frankly in crisis where the mayor has said, uh, we're not going to let you graduate in high school in, unless you show us a plan to move beyond that and how you're going to get a career. So this is going on uh, all over the country in various ways. It's probably, uh, as usual with this sort of thing, there are centers of excellence everywhere. Uh, how to pull that all together and it's probably premature to pull that all together. We don't want to step into the middle of people on the ground who are doing real work experimenting right. with alternatives. Right. And then I guess the, then integrating it and then in a way um, it, it seems sometimes like you're talking about a lot of this has to be local, right? It has to be the states that are making these decisions and implementing it based on the needs of their people. And then it, it, if I recall – a lot of times the government may step in and hand down guidelines that then need to be lived – the federal government. And and it does what would be the best role for the federal government when it comes to kind of leading on this uh, topic? I think the education in America is a state function and I don't – I think that's a good thing uh, because it encourages this kind of experimentation. And a lot of the power is local because we've built a local – uh, locally empowered school system in the United States. So at least at this phase of things, I think it's pretty clear that the best role for the federal government is to encourage experimentation and to try and uh, get the people who are experimenting talking to each other so they can learn from each other. So it's sort of a convening role. Or, you know, the federal government shouldn't be in the business of making anybody do anything in yeah. this arena. It's too fresh. But they can certainly uh, help with some money for research and 
uh, money to sort of show people how to do things and to get people together who are doing things and let them learn from each other. That's kind of where we are. I think it'll take a few years for this to uh, for us to learn. I have a feeling by the end of it, we're going to end up with several pathways, not one. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's probably better, right? Just other, so many roads to get to be a more effective uh, approach, a more effective student. Dr. Anthony Carnavelli, thank you so much for your great insight again. Um, and, and thank you for just giving us a, a little bit of your time to help us understand what's going on with our high school students. Again, Dr. Carnavali is a research professor and director of the Georgetown University Center on Education and Workforce. We're all here to learn, folks. And uh, are your children career ready? That's the question we've all got to be looking at. Welcome back, friends. Hey, a little Facebook uh, update from uh, Terry, the man that loves Facebook more than anyone on earth. Really? Yeah. It, it, it you, has its place. But you use it in a very different way. <laughs> I, I Kellyanne Conway apparently yeah, is I listening. I place my entire family in a list. Yeah. And then I, uh, I'm friends, but I unfollow. So I don't see them in the main news feed. Yeah. See, that's totally opposite of how others do it. <laughs> no. And then what you do is you just pack your list. You have many lists, but you pack it with news and, you know, interesting... Comic book news. Yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. Just stuff that I find interesting, and it's a lot of the stuff that we end up sharing on the show. Yours is a news feed. And it kind of scared me when they said they were going to adjust the news feed to focus more on your family and friends. And I'm like, well, I've set them over in this other list. Yeah, why? Yeah. Away from the main feed. And so what is that going to be? It's almost like Facebook isn't for you. Well, yeah, I'm turning it into something. I don't know if I'm obviously not using it the way they would want me to. No, right. But uh, they they announced that they're going to find out the trustworthiness of news sources. Yeah. And they're going to judge them based on asking users to judge how they feel the value of this website is. Because Facebook got kind of hit in the face for for promoting a lot of the fake news. That was out there. It was getting passed around there. And so they're like, we're not going to be a part of fake news anymore. Right. Now, the definition of fake news being stuff that is absolutely 100% false false, and intent to mislead. Yeah. Not something that a reporter gets a not fact a mistake, wrong. Not a mistake, an error And then by they a fix reporter. it and come right. back and fix it. These what about are, those fake ads, though, that just want you to click on it so that they get credit for it? They're, trying, they're trying to get rid of those. Okay. There's yeah. certain language that's used as those are... Yeah. Are, are put out and they're trying to find a way to get rid of the clickbait because it's it's kind of hurting their their platform because yeah. you get on there and it's all you know you want something legit you don't want something that's uh that's Nobody trying to deceive to you so. Dwayne the Rock Johnson we lost him too soon yeah. <laughs> it's always something like that but then you click on it you're like wait I don't want a vacuum what are you doing you yeah know, <laughs> kind of that kind of thing what does this have to do with a vacuum and there's constant I mean there's stuff all over social media that way so what there's two questions they've boiled this down to two questions to find the newsworthiness oh great of a link uh, this was in BuzzFeed yesterday turns out it isn't that lengthy or nuanced there's two questions one do you recognize the following websites yes or no interesting do you, so if you don't recognize the website that's maybe a sign you're being clickbaited 
or yep. fake news. Right. Okay. So if you don't recognize it, if it's just some random thing, then you click no. Right. Uh, how much do you trust each of these domains? Right. And then it says entirely, a lot, somewhat, barely, not at all. Oh, interesting. So how much do you trust the New York Times? Do you recognize it? And how much do you trust it? Yeah. That's great. That's Those are two easy questions. Except, won't it just come back 50-50? I mean, it's kind of how we're... Well, what it might be <laughs> is it's actually going to be a real big heads-up about how little people care or well, know any new... I mean, seriously, like something like Politico, mm-hmm. I'll bet you a lot of people don't know what Politico is. A lot of people. So something may seem like it's yeah. fake because it's, it's from Politico. Or one that I follow is uh, Axios. Yeah, Axios. And it's just, it's a website. It has mm-hmm. news, people. A lot of the stuff that's coming out about Mueller is actually coming out of Axios, and then everybody else reports on it. It's I thought that was like a cryptocurrency. Exactly. Well, but too. Well, no. now Axios is signing a deal with, it's called Trunk Media. <laughs> I know. It owns the LA Times. And oh, so the wow. Axios content will be in the LA Times. They're trying to get their name out so people know what it is. It's but, hard to get it out just through emails okay. and websites. And but all that. let's say that the name of the the name of the site is Hillary Clinton is a spawn of darkness. Oh, okay. Whoa! But won't some people just say, "Oh, yeah, I know that site." <laughs> oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That, that 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 was a oh, question I, totally, I had. They're good. Will this be? A, do you like? Do you trust? It's not asking. Do you agree with them? It's like, do you do you trust that this is a real website? This is an interest. This will be an interesting study because. They might agree just because of, yeah, uh, stopping the stopping the Democrats from yeah. progress. Right. Oh, I agree. Yeah, that's a great that's, site. That's a great website. I love By that. By the way, where do you find it? What are they most known for? Mm-hmm. Oh, stopping the Democrats from progress. <laughs> it's that. This is the problem with fake news. Is people like it in a way. That's why they're yeah. perpetuating. I don't know if this solves any problems. No, this may, may cause more problems for Facebook. It seems like the algorithm would need to be a little deeper than that. And if you get a concerted effort where you try to take down a website, you just yeah. say it's fake. It's wrong. I don't yeah. recognize right. this. And it's, you know, like the lie. Iowa Democrat or something or whatever the newspaper is in some random city and you try to take it down. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so that'll be coming to a, a Facebook feed near you. All right. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. More news for you. Breaking news. This just in. Apparently, we may have one of our naval vessels uh, uh Stuck? It's in Canada. It's in Canada. It's there are there's... worse places to be stuck. It's been there since around Christmas. And Why? They're, they're just going to leave it there. What? Till what? It, yeah. So let me tell you. Okay. So um, apparently, this is talking about maybe we had some plan to invade Canada. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, it's a newly commissioned $440 million Navy warship. Wow. The USS Little Rock. It was commissioned in Buffalo. Uh, December 16th. So apparently we commissioned Navy ships in Buffalo. I know they have waterways up there. Didn't know we had a, yeah. a naval presence. It has been uh, stuck in Montreal since Christmas Eve because of heavy ice, and the Navy says they have decided to leave it there until the weather improves. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to ding your new and they're car. Saying that probably won't be until mid March, when the Saint Lawrence Saint Lawrence Seaway is usually uh, 
navigable because of mm-hmm. the ice, right? Yeah. So the temperatures in Montreal and throughout their transit area have been colder than normal and including near-record low temperatures, which created significant and historical conditions in late December. Yeah. And so they're saying keeping the ship in Montreal until waterways are clear ensures the safety of the ship and the crew, and we have limited impact on the ship's operational schedule. While in port, the crew of Little Rock will continue to focus on training, readiness, and certification. But Sounds hmm, boring. Just like, but like... At port. Yeah. So in port. It's a littoral combat ship. Wow. And it came from Arkansas, right? No, it's called the USS Little Rock. Yeah. It was commissioned in Buffalo. Well, a lot of them come out of Ar- it, it Arkansas. Went, it, it went on its first mission to Canada, got stuck in the ice. Yeah, but you know, you know they're, not all, they're not all from Arkansas. <laughs> well, why else would they call it Little Rock? Well, that's just the name of the ship. So it's, a, hmm. it's about a 400-foot boat so it's not huge yeah but you don't it's not an icebreaker they've been given temporary heaters and the 70 personnel have been given new cold weather clothing for the extended stay in canada (laughs) the ship which will go to its home port in jacksonville florida when the weather permits can you imagine you Mm. spend all that time freezing and all of a sudden ah you're in florida feels good it's canada though it's not the worst place in the world snows in florida it's just cold that's it it's i mean it's, it's beautiful it's canada but it's just the cold Canada at the cold time. Yeah, but they're polite over there. No, you may so run polite. into a polite polar bear. Yeah, but you're still cold. Hmm. So this is an interesting fact about the USS Little what? Rock. What? The uh, It's named after a ship that was in service from 1945 to 1976. The USS Clinton? No, the Little Rock. Oh. In de- the December ceremony in Buffalo, it became the first ship in Navy history to be commissioned alongside its namesake, the former USS Little Rock, which is now a floating museum in Buffalo. Wow. Holy cow. So there's a there's the old Little Rock, which yeah. is a floating museum. Kind of a post-World War uh-huh. II and ship. And then there's the, yeah. there's the new Little Rock yeah, that's that, a floating mu- museum near Buffalo. Are they giving tours? Are they bring, is, it, is it like a diplomatic mission now, bringing the Canadians, the Canadians uh, in to, to tour the ship? What a, what a hard um, – what a hard – Little Rocks have had a, uh, kind of an interesting past. Yeah. And future, apparently. How much training can you do sitting in dock in Montreal, frozen in the ice? Well, and how much you can't even clean the ship, right? No. Like normally, a lot of times in dock they'll paint yeah. it, but you're not going to paint and clean the ship. It's a brand new ship. Yeah, there's no barnacles no. yet, so you can't. You know. Are you going to forward this story to Mark, the host of Special Collections? No. Speaking of floating museums. Oh, you're right. Are you calling Mark a floating museum? No, I'm calling him the host of Special Collections. Okay, good, because it sounded like you were saying that he's like stuck in ice. Anyway, we will continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeffrey Simpson, Terry South. The gang is gathered all here for you. You're here for me? Yes. Wow. We are all here to help you through hump day. The <sighs> midday of the, I guess, the the middle of the week. What does it say about me that by Tuesday night, I'm yeah. already, like, I might as well be to the weekend already? Well, it probably says you're way into the Oscars. 
<laughs> and you're spending too much time thinking about the Oscars. No, I just I like I had I had uh, an impression. Well, not an impression. I was inclined during the break to ask you, but I didn't. Uh, what do you What do you have coming up this weekend? Oh. Is it too early to be asking that on Wednesday morning? Yeah, I really. Would, yeah, well, I would just wait until Wednesday after the show. Yeah, I'm going to be mm. watching Dunkirk apparently since I just got the text that that's <gasps> coming in. Yeah, you're going to love that from Netflix. Yes, I still I'm Ooh. still one of the uh, five or ten people in the country that have their uh, DVD mm-hmm. service. Hey, my neighbor is one of the other five. Then you get all the new. Yeah, my grandma. That my way. grandma. Yeah, she's big into that. Yeah, it's this great. is an elderly gentleman as well. So yeah, I'm able to watch uh, Dunkirk this weekend. That's fun. Not a fun movie. Are you kidding? It's thrilling. It's thrilling, not fun. Well, it's more fun than most World War II movies. It's thrilling. There were, there were some fun, cr- not. There were some critiques <laughs> saying that it wasn't really as it's tense, as fast paced as it needed to be, or just kind of a down sort of feel to the movie. And then someone's like, "It's a war movie. Yeah, it's, do you want what do you want? Movie. Like a dance party in the middle?" I could or? have used more uh, happiness in that movie. I like, yeah, I like long um, melodies sung on the beach. <laughs> it's not a show tune movie. It's not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. Sorry, that's the problem. So my wife's going to go really. Dunkirk. All right, whatever. So neither of you have seen it. No, it's one of those films. Well, you've that, seen it. I've seen you? it. Yeah. So sit you down. Sit down and watch it without any breaks. Don't go to the bathroom or get up to get anything from the kitchen. <laughs> it's a long movie. Listen, yeah. it, well, actually, I'm going to pause. Only, it's like don't two drink hours long. All day. <laughs> don't yeah. Don't drink. And I'm telling you, it's a very thrilling experience. Yeah. There, you don't breathe for long portions of the movie. Yeah, it's tense. My wife will fall asleep, though. No. And then she'll be like, what no. happened? And I go, everyone won. Okay, great. It's so good. Maybe your wife and my wife ought to call each other yeah. more. Go do something more productive than hang out with us. Less sleepy. <laughs> well, we always watch late Saturday night after the kids go to bed. Oh, you do? Yeah. So This is one you might not want to do that late. I mean, but late is like 9 o'clock. Yeah. Hmm. And he, she's done at eight thirty. I don't so. know if you noticed this, but you're turning into your grandfather. Oh, I I've been old for a long time. So look at this. You've got your DVD on the way. Yeah, it's going to be here. And um, you're, it's a it's a war movie. Yep. <laughs> that sweater doesn't help either. I and, wear a hoodie. It's okay. And late is nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Well, you got two kids. They go to bed at eight eight thirty. Yeah. Can I tell you the sweetest story? Uh-oh. Uh, yes. So my wife wasn't feeling well last night, and I actually had kind of a pounding headache myself. Mm-hmm. And all this is going down while we're sitting down to eat dinner. My eight-month-old is crying, and my girls are, you know, singing at the top of their lungs. And we told them that we didn't feel very good, so we needed them to help us out. We needed them to be quiet. And they said, oh, you're not feeling well? Well, how about after dinner... We take care of you guys. You go lay down. We'll take care of you. We'll read you stories, and we'll put you to bed. And that's exactly what they did. They really? offered us massages. Wow. They read us stories. They told us to lay down and go to bed. They turned out the lights, closed the door. They checked on us periodically to make sure that we were staying in bed. Wow. <laughs> and then they got dressed in their pajamas. They brushed their teeth, and they put themselves <gasps> to bed. Wonderful. All without any encouragement from us. I mean, all without any, none of this came from us. Wow. It's like autopilot for children. It's it was like, amazing. It's like a post-Christmas miracle. <laughs> and it was so sweet. They were so excited to help wow. us. My, yeah. My kid just wants to punch me all the time. Really? That might be something I've encouraged, but it's different. Wow. 
What's, yeah. I wonder what that's about. Well, he likes to wrestle. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's different. It's there. He's not caring for father. He's trying to, I guess, theoretically hurt dad, but not yeah, really. I mean, probably. Sure. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. It's 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 really comical now. It'll turn real here in about you know five ten years. But <laughs> it's it's funny when you get older, you you'll go to bed before your kids all the time. <laughs> like all I do now, I we we go to bed and my kids are all up. We <sighs> do you, just, I, you yell them like turn off the lights and then you go to bed. Yeah, all right. but I told them that we I want them to be more independent. So all of my children put their money together. They got on uh, a, a KSL dot com, a classified website website, right. and they bought a, a new um, oh what's it called. A new Microsoft video game system. An Xbox. Xbox One. (laughs) Okay, the new one, yeah. And now they're playing that every day, Hmm. all night. They just did it all on their own. But now my son's coming home early from school. (laughs) To play video games? Yeah, Yeah. with his friends. Okay. And I'm like, shouldn't you be in class? And they're all TAs, I guess, for a dance class. Okay. They're the dance team managers. All right. And the dance team had something to do today. So they didn't so have anything just, to do and they just came uh, home? Yeah, everyone was yeah. gone, so they just came I, I used home. an excuse similar to that. It didn't work. Well, mine were like, hey, so do you want me to just be at school getting in trouble? Or do you want? would you rather that I come home and play video games over the internet with all of my friends? Huh. It's a like, good point. Well, honestly, I'd rather have you at school. <laughs> well, honestly. But, as long as you're not here. Isn't it weird? Ah, this process we're going through. Kids are great. Yeah, they're Sometimes they're awesome. you can see that parenting is working in Jeff's case. In my case, have some work to do. No, you, your parenting works because you put them to bed really early. Well, I mean, that's more just... So that you and mom can have a Saturday night. Right. <laughs> and she falls asleep while yeah. I watch Dunkirk. So it's really then you... And I'm really half watching because I'm also on my computer like... Looking no, don't half watch. Don't half watch. Full watch. Full watch. Full watch Dunkirk. It'll change your life. Okay, we'll see. Okay, so uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? President Trump does not have any firm beliefs about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Office Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney seemed to say in an interview on CNN Tuesday, the White House wants a large immigration policy agreement. We want a big deal that solves the reason we have a DACA problem in the first place, Mulvaney said. If you simply gave amnesty wherever you want to call it, or whatever you want to call it, to the folks who are here, but don't solve border security, then you're simply delaying another DACA problem 10 or 15 years down the road. Pressed by CNN's Chris Cuomo to explain Trump's term and conditions for allowing DACA recipients... uh, To stay in America, Mulvaney said Trump's position depends on what we get in exchange. What we do, what we get for border security, do we get the wall? These are all important questions. Interesting. So it's, again, he he wants he wants he he said in one of the meetings that this bill needs to be based on love. It needs to be about yeah. love. Yeah, a big, beautiful, loving bill or something of that nature. But it's <laughs> transactional. He wants something back, even though he everybody's for it. Everybody wants something. They just don't want to say okay. Weird. And that's why this upcoming February eighth, right? Yeah, we have a, several weeks until maybe another shutdown. Will the Democrats be happy just getting the vote that Mitch McConnell promised them, or will they only be happy if it passes? That hasn't been decided. Mm, the House uh, the House still hasn't said they will take up this bill that the Senate decides to vote on. 
Right. So again, if it doesn't pass, there's no guarantee Trump's going to sign anything that shows up to his desk. Yeah. So again, are the Democrats happy or sad? Will they keep the government open or closed depending on just getting a vote? Or does the bill have to pass? Uh, see. These are all questions. Yeah. That's why you can't keep kicking the can. Yeah, you got to solve the problem. So we'll see right. what happens. Uh, President Trump hosting his first official White House state dinner of his presidency in April with French President Emmanuel Macron. Oh, uh, yeah. I like that you said that. Yeah, a senior administration official confirmed to Fox News on Tuesday. While Trump has hosted a number of world leaders and even a number of high-profile dinners, none were official state dinners with all the trappings, pomp, circumstance, and accompanying glitter and of a state dinner, CNN writes. Ooh. Trump made history by being the first president in nearly a century to not host a state dinner in his first year in office. And the mm. White House said there's really no reason we didn't host one other than it's kind of expensive. So they're, they're doing it, it to save money. <clears throat> well, but at the same time, somebody's flying to Florida every weekend, so maybe the money's being reallocated elsewhere. Well, but not everybody wants to throw a state dinner. We're not all like you, Terry. Now, a steak dinner, that's a different right. issue. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Who wouldn't want that? An FBI agent who served on special counsel Robert Mueller's team and who has been accused by Republicans of anti-Trump bias said in a text message prior to joining the investigation into President Trump's uh, and Russia, he, his text said, My gut sense and concern is that there is no big there there. Peter Strzok is the... FBI uh, FBI agent that is involved with this. He was removed from Mueller's team after Mueller was informed of text messages from Strzok that criticized Trump a year earlier during the election. The new text message released Tuesday by Senator Ron Johnson, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Some Republicans in Congress have used Strzok's comments to paint the FBI and Mueller team as biased against Trump. The president even accused Strzok of treason last month. Wow. Strzok also criticized prominent liberal figures such as Hillary Clinton, Attorney General Eric Holder, and Senator Bernie Sanders. So it seemed like he's kind of all over the board when it comes to his... He, he's freely giving out his criticism of politicians. Yeah. But people have just seized on the Trump text. Why? Okay, yeah. But, but he's also saying that he didn't think there was anything to the investigation. Like, well, and maybe there's not. Whatever it is, it's ending. I mean, it's, it seems to be winding down. Or is it? Uh, this could be. What if in the very end they're all like, hey, he's cool. He's clean <laughs> as a whistle. I think there'd be some Democrats with their hair on fire. What? I know, There's but no way. it could just as easily go that way. <laughs> Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat from Illinois on Tuesday, announced that she is expecting her second child, Great. a daughter. She'll be the first sitting senator to give birth while in office. Wow. Duckworth, so- 49, now a little over six months pregnant, says she feels great. Her daughter Abigail, born when uh, while Duckworth was a member of the House, only ten members of Congress have given birth while in office. Three of whom have gone on to the Senate. Duckworth, Senator uh, Kristen Gillibrand, and former uh, Senator uh, Blanche Lambert Lincoln of Arkansas. Now Duckworth said that it's being called a geriatric pregnancy because she's fifty. She's a little offended by that. that. I guess that's the medical term. She's saying the new fifty is the new forty when it comes to pregnancy. Really. <laughs> They've I don't know u- any 50-year-olds getting pregnant. They've been using her and her husband have been using IVF. I, what is it oh, called? Yeah. IVF. IVF. In vitro, so yeah. in vitro to, to do this, and it uh, it finally worked for her again, because I believe her first daughter was uh, conceived the same way. Good for her. Very good for her. So it would be interesting. She's Congratulations. She's a sit- sitting senator. She, uh, she called out the president as a draft dodger 
either late last week or earlier this week uh, over the weekend yeah. with the, oh, did the she? whole debate. Yeah. So she has a geriatric <laughs> she's uh, a former, pregnancy. Yeah, she's a you, for, oh, former Iraqi war oh, yeah, she's, helicopter pilot. Yeah. She lost her legs in combat. Yeah. And she had these comments over the weekend, and now she's pregnant and... That's she sounds awesome. Bad to the bone, yeah. Um, she's So she's the geriatric uh, delivery, and yours is the geriatric Netflix delivery. Yes. Thank you for bringing that back up. I drive a grandpa car. Yeah. I have the grandpa video delivery to the house. Yep. Wear you, my sweater because it's a little cold in the basement. Yeah. And when those kids run out across your lawn, you're like, hey, get off my lawn. I kind of do. It's like, what do you? there's a sidewalk. What yeah. are you on my lawn for? <laughs> uh, and finally, two little words are causing big headaches for smartphone users in India. What? Good morning. Uh-oh. Hmm? That's because so many folks in the country, over 1.3 billion people are sending happy little photos that bear the message to so many of the people they care about. Apparently, they wake up every morning. And send a good morning text to everyone they know. Really? According hmm. to the Wall Street Journal, it's such an issue that one in three smartphone users are running out of space on their phones daily <laughs> in India. Because it has a little graphic, little photograph, yeah. something of a sunrise or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it says the message featuring photos of sunrise hearts, flowers, are typically sent via Facebook's popular web app or WhatsApp Messenger. The problem is so rampant that Google, whose Android operating system holds an 80% market share in India... Uh, had to create a brand new software to address the issue. So it's called Files Go. The Google app searches for telltale signs of a file is a good morning photo and deletes it immediately after receive, I mean, you receive it. It's there for a little while and then deletes it because people just keep collecting these and they just fill up their phones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, welcome to our phone problems four years ago. Right. And apparently the prime minister has been sending these. Like create, he has his own app, I yeah. guess, and yeah. he's sending mm-hmm. him out. But he's mad. He was talking about in a cabinet meeting that he can't. He, no one responds. What's up with that? So then they start looking and like he's sending him out, but nobody receives his message. I don't know if he's doing it right. I don't know if he's actually has it's attaching. And he's not. <laughs> so uh, six members of the cabinet signed up to his app so they could like interact with him. Hey, and make maybe him feel that's better. what the president needs is an app. Mm. So instead of using Twitter. Mm. Maybe he could just have his own good morning app, and it's just a, a chance to commune and talk with the president every morning. It could be worse. They could be running out of data a lot faster if he was saying, and if in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Oh, true. And then they put photos of each time of day. But if he, was a, if he, was, if he cared, he would just send those in good afternoon. He'd send them in the appropriate times as well. Mm. <laughs> that wouldn't annoy you? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't sign up for that. I, I mean, I want to be part of the team, but so come on. Apparently, it's a problem, and it's filling up people's phones, and so they're trying to correct that problem. Boy, it's not. I mean, there's problems, and there's problems. Right. But there's nothing more frustrating than not having enough space in your phone. Right. They just need more memory on the phone. That's why you need an my iPhone phone 10. Used, my phone used to fill up all the time. Yeah. And then I got a bigger phone. That's fine. I my I fixed all. My wife has never loved me more. Rumor has it, the iPhone 10 or the iPhone X might be going away next year. <gasps> Whoa! I didn't know you were that connected to it. No, I <clears throat> I think I breathed in a bug or something. <laughs> I thought we were losing you. All right, let's get to uh, the empty news headlines. I think some animals are creating problems around the country. Yeah, we've got rats that are interrupting flights. We've got turkeys that are interrupting the mail. And we've got uh, whales that are interrupting a good shark feed. Wow. 
Yeah. So why don't we start with the shark feet? Yeah, I love a good shark feet. So there, I looked for the footage of this and I I couldn't find any because why would you film a shark attacking you while it was happening? Yeah, no, it's kind of you're kind of focused on survival. (laughs) Marine biologist Nan Hauser was lifted by the 22 ton whale's head totally out of the water to save her from 15 from the 15 foot tiger shark. What? The whale then shielded Nan underneath his pectoral fin and pushed her through the water to safety as another whale warded off the shark with its tail. Wow. Nan, who is 63, believes the, uh, uh, that the video clip that she, that she shows is proof of whale's instinct to protect other species, including humans. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. So she was bruised up a little bit, and uh, I think uh, the whale was protecting her for about 10 minutes. So but, uh, a shark, it's amazing. a tiger shark's trying to attack. Yeah, and uh, uh, a, a couple of whales. What kind of whales were these? Like Ooh, blue let me whales? See if it says oh, the, a, a giant giant humpback whale. Humpback whales are are then protecting this diver. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. No, uh, in fact, I'm watching the video right here. Well, there's video of her like going and petting a whale, but I, I didn't see any shark in that. Yeah, you wanted to. Yeah, I know what you're doing. <laughs> you were looking for some gore. So now we've also, as I mentioned, we've got turkeys interrupting the mail delivery. There's a brood of aggressive wild turkeys that interfered with mail car- carriers' abilities to deliver mail to homes in a portion of the city in Ohio. The Rocky River, Ohio branch of the U.S. Postal Service notified the city that the turkeys were creating unsafe conditions for the carriers delivering mail to homes. About 25 to 30 homes haven't been able to get their mail delivered, oh, she no said. Way. And the problem has been lingering for about Three weeks. Mail carriers are attempting to deliver the mail, but they have nothing to steer the turkeys away. Residents have had to pick their mail up at the post office. Now, that would be annoying. Yeah, that's frustrating. Mail carriers will now begin to deliver in the evening, and uh, the carriers are carrying an air horn to see if that will scare off the turkeys. Nothing Um, worse than protective turkeys. Usually it's dogs that are giving the mail yeah. uh, workers a hard time. This time it's turkeys. Do you know what else they ought to do is just bring out some turkey gravy. Ooh. Uh, for some reason, turkeys you, hate turkey gravy. Oh, yeah. You say you've been warned. And you just start throwing turkey gravy out there and they're all like, <laughs> scatter. All you have to do – I thought all you have to do is go – No. And they all – it's like yeah, it's no. like a cat with yarn. They yeah. just – they're hypnotized. But they, when the, you're doing that, they're looking at you like, this guy's weird. <laughs> that is crazy. So okay. now for the rats yeah. oh, interrupting rats. the flights. Alaska Airlines is calling in an ex- exterminator after the company says a rat boarded one of its planes at Oakland International Airport in California and forced it to cancel the flight. Really? The airline says passengers were boarding the Portland, Oregon-bound flight Tuesday when the rat jumped from the jetway onto the plane. Passengers already on board came off, and the plane was taken out of service. Most (laughs) of the 110 passengers scheduled to take the flight were rebooked on a later flight to Portland. Alaska Airlines says it will resume using the plane when a professional exterminator certifies it is rodent-free. Because they'll go in and and eat the plastic coat. Coating on these wires, all the peanuts. Oh, they love peanuts. Yeah, they'll eat their their little their little wafer cookies. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So there's actually a new film, believe it or not. What? Well, we know that Samuel L. Jackson is kind of making 
the rounds in, oh, yeah. in all these different countries everything. doing all these plane movies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sundance is going on right now. So right. this is actually a new film that's being shown there called Rats on a Plane. Now, it's not your typical shoot 'em up Samuel Jackson, yeah. let's get these rodents off of the plane type of movie. It's It's more... I don't want to say pretentious, but it's more French. Oh, okay. It's a cool. French film. Love it. And he doesn't have anybody dub his voice. He does all of the French himself. Oh, this will be great. Bientôt dans les cinémas près de Javour, quelque chose pieds mille pieds. Capitaine, nous avons un problème. It's all alone pour le casser. Quel est problème? Monsieur, c'est son dérat. J'ai les you avec ses rap, you answer ses volatiles. Samuel L. Jackson dans Radar en avion. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, like many other college programs, BYU's swimming and diving team booked a training trip to Puerto Rico this year before the island was hit by Hurricane Maria. And unlike other teams, the Cougars actually followed through with their plans and went down uh, despite everything that had gone on. Uh, what followed was one of the most memorable experiences of their lives. And here to speak with us today about it is John Brooks, who's the head coach of the BYU swim and dive team. John, thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be here. This is a this is a fun story. I mean, you I, I guess you you book your trip. That just is a way to make it exciting. Take the team down to Puerto Rico, work out there through the summer. I guess is uh, that well, the plan? Well, most college swimming programs, the the collegiate swimming teams in America, the season kind of spans length of football and basketball. Okay, and yeah. So during that wow. sweet spot of you know when when the your semester ends and then the next semester starts and nobody has any school, all the universities in the country, you know, people go home for Christmas a little right. bit. So you want to get people back into shape and get them ready to go. So most programs around the country go somewhere warm, go train somewhere because there's no school. Right. And so we decided to go to Puerto Rico this year, partly because we're remodeling a facility here. We want to try to go somewhere fun. And we've been there before. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. We've been there about three or four years ago. So we had planned this a year out, long yeah. before a hurricane. And then, it, then all of a sudden, you're watching the hurricane, and you must be thinking, "Uh-oh!" It wasn't. Yeah, definitely. For this sure. isn't good. We'd already we'd already booked. Well, at least reserved our airfare. We'd already paid a down, you know, deposit yeah. on non refundable for hotel. Oh, no. A lot of stuff had already been in the works. When you have sixty people going, yeah. sixty five people going. Get to stu- you know plan stuff long in advance. Well, and they're probably all very excited to get down there. This is a vacation. How long were you going to be there? We were there for nine days. Wow. So um, then you watch the hurricane. Then you watch all the news coverage of the hurricane. And forever, you know, it was – and they kept getting hit and hit and hit. In fact, there's still power off, I think, in certain parts of the country. They finally are getting it all up. Yeah. But you you decide, OK, uh, we're, we're still going to go. We're going to go – I guess you made some calls probably and found out how bad it was. Well, fortunately, I work for a great university that has, you know, m- well, we were one of 17 universities that were going to go and train at the University of Maguas, uh, just which is about two hours uh, west on the west side of uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah. And we were the only university that ended up going. Oh, and so d- just economically, that was devastating. For Yeah, I, I, 
I mean, I, I want to talk about the service, and I hopefully that's yeah, we part will. of this. But probably the biggest thing we did there is just going there and showing support and spending our dollars. That's and that's what they needed. Well, with an economy that's eighty five percent reliant on tourism, yes, for sure. And how many people keep hearing about how devastated it is? So they everyone's changing their plans when they really need people down there. Correct. Um, so you decided you're going to go ahead and do it. I guess you got enough information through your channels that, okay, we can make this work. There's still a hotel. There's well, still a place to stay. There's still food. There's still a pool. Well, by the time the hurricane hit and when we were going to go was about three months. Okay. So you had- and so I, you know, I was kind of banking on, you know, I think we'll be okay. You know, they, it's a resilient island. They're going to get back up. They need tourism, so it's going to happen. Yeah. And I was in con- constant contact with a variety of different people um, on the island. And, uh, you know, once I decided about about a month after, I think it was right after October, right after Halloween, I got in a phone call from the hotel saying, hey, we're back up and running again. I'm like, oh, OK, good. And I'd already found out that the university was the, the swimming pool was up and running. So we could we had okay. a place to stay and, and electricity there. And there's a pool. And now we just need the transportation. And then we were set. But I let my team know up front. And I said, listen, guys, we're going to go to a place that's going to be really rough. It's going to be it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be like last time we went. There may not be cell phone service. There may not be hotel. Or there may not be Wi-Fi. There may yeah. not be TV. But I don't really care. This is an area that you know we could sit on our butts and go somewhere else. Yeah. In, in the states, go to Florida, go to California, or we can go to a place where they need our help. They need our support to go there. Why not go and do it? That's amazing. And really, only one of the seventeen other universities went. I mean, that's you'd think like others would have done the same thing. Well, you know. It, when you have that big of a group of people wanting to go, it's a lot easier for coaches that are already, you know, massively overwhelmed with their lives already to just go, ah, it's too big of a hassle to go do all that research. We're just going to go somewhere else or just stay home. Yeah. But in the end, it also sounds like it it may have been probably the best team building exercise you could have done. Yeah, that and also just the reception we had while we were there. I mean, the hotel was amazingly grateful. The, everywhere we went, everything we do, everyone was just massively grateful that we were the ones that showed up. Was it was it hard to get in and out? And uh, I mean, or is it you know are the roads open? Everything's relatively normal when you got there. Uh, you know, right now, uh, I think I you know right before you start the show, what they portray, I think here in the states, it, they say it's really really bad there, and it is really bad there, but not nearly as bad. I mean, for example, I think when. When I flew in, I was expecting 85% of the island to have no electricity. Yeah. And I don't know what it really is like, but just from my perspective, I think it's closer to maybe maybe 60%. 60%. Yeah, interesting. The 50 60% that don't have electricity. And, yeah, and because we, we do get mixed messages. And yeah. um, so you show up there and uh, they pick you up, I guess. And, and how were you received? So the, the hotel loved you. Then um, what was the university thinking? And, and then let's get into what you did because – I guess without cell phones and television service and some of those services, you 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 actually put your athletes to work. We did. So the, I mean, the goal there was to go and train. So we trained twice a day plus a lifting within there. So it was really three workouts per day, and you know, with some commute back and forth from the pool, that was our main purpose. And so we dedicated uh, two half days. Uh, one the day before th- day before uh, New Year's, and the New Year's Eve mm-hmm. was uh, on the Sunday, which in Puerto Rico that's like. That's like a three-day holiday for them. So for us, uh, we tried to do that, some some service that day, but there wasn't a lot of people were like ah, this is a day for fun. Yeah. And then we did some on New Year's Day as well. Oh, that's and, awesome! And uh, you know, it was, obviously, I mean, when, when you're trying to clean up a jungle, 
you can pick any anywhere you want yeah. to go and help we'll start and clean. here right yeah i mean it's it's everything it's, needs to be clean yeah correct what uh so what what did you notice with your swimmers what and, and what what happened what what did you see the biggest impact of the trip was for them I think that it's for them to, just to have a, a moment where they're like, wow, you know what? We are a little more grateful for our electricity, for yeah. water, you know, for the most basic things. Yeah. When, you know, part of the hotel lost 20 feet of their ocean in front of the hotel. Did they really? Yeah. 20 feet of it's gone. And you can swim out in the ocean just maybe, you know, maybe 100 yards and look back at all these structures, condos, homes that are just halfway in the water. Gone. Yeah. And so it's de- pretty devastating. So I think for them just to see that and, you know, you know, all these street vendors they have and stuff like that, going and eating there and, and just having having an experience. A lot of them have never been outside the United States. Yeah. A lot of them have never been outside of Utah for wow. some of them. Yeah. So just to have that experience alone and then have this on top of it where it's an experience where they hear the lifeguards going, you know, when you guys leave, we don't have work. You know, the hotel is saying, you know, if you, when you guys leave, we don't, you know, the, you know, just the tourism is so low, we don't, you know, we have to let people off. And yeah. just to hear those kind of things for bus drivers driving and going, you know, I don't have work when you guys leave, but thank you so much for coming. I think Holy that, cow. I think that that was just so impacting on our team. That is, it's humbling. Yeah, you know what I mean. We talk about, and everyone felt bad. It seemed like for what was going on in Puerto Rico, but um, it's another thing to actually kind of put your money where your mouth is and get down there and give and and do charitable work. Do you? I mean, in a way, it actually maybe has this changed your view of future trainings. I mean, I guess there there is kind of a really nice benefit to go do some service anytime you go do a training, maybe. Yeah, uh, I mean, in years past, we've gone to San Diego. Um, I mean, these training trips, it's it's pretty intense. I mean, you're you're there to get in shape and to yeah. be competitive. Uh, but in years past, we've gone to San Diego, and, and obviously now they have some mudslides and some you know, so maybe we could do that. Uh, we we always find some way of reaching out or doing something that's in the community, maybe not necessarily service, but doing something in the area that's educational or trying to do something. Yeah. Um, this just happened to be that, you know, we, we made a conscious effort. If we're going to go there, we're going to go and train, but we'll find some way of w- whatever we can do to help as well. Yeah. How is, uh, has, it, has it affected your season at all? Do you see a, anything, any difference with your team? Uh, well, that's, you got some press from it. Yeah, we did. Well, that's, you know, yeah. And uh, more press that we have to do something crazy to get press for our sport. Cause we're not one of the <laughs> high Puerto profile Rico. sports. Yeah. Uh, just, just the fact that our, you know, I think a lot of our kids, uh, you know, people have asked them, wow, I can't believe you guys went. You were the only team that went. Um, and I, I probably, um, to best answer that question, I think before we left, you know, my wife, lots of mothers, uh, lots of fathers of the team, you know, they're a little worried. worried. Oh my goodness. You're going right. to take, but working for uh, you know, a great university, BYU, they, you know, they were relying on, okay, John's a good guy. Okay, the coaching staff's done their homework. BYU is not going to send them if it's not safe. Right. You know, crossing their fingers. And, you know, um, I think when we came home, uh, I've just heard from many, many parents just saying, wow, thank you so much for sending our, you know, our daughter or son there. It's cool. They had such a great experience. Well, and, and, and with uh, BYU, there's so many people that have gone on LDS missions and traveled abroad. And then, but then there's all of these other like service missions and other service activities they could do. But there's a lot of people that pay big money to just go to Puerto Rico to help out and to serve and to care. You're, you're doing it as a, as a training exercise. Do you sense, um, I guess, as a, as a coach, because here's something I've never – and I'd love your insight on it. it. It is an underrated sport for some reason. People don't get the power of swimming 
And for the first time recently, I've started to swim, but I, I really it's just it's just drowning <laughs> at a really horrible pace. But um, talk about for a second, just as a parent, what are the v- benefits of of swimming as an option for your kids today as a sport to work on? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in sports, we, we always talk. Oh, you're you're a football player. You're yeah, a we soccer. hear about it all the but time. I like to. There's a catchphrase of like, "What's the head fakes? What are what are you really learning in X, Y, and Z yeah. sport?" You know, swimming is and, and diving is. I think including this is you know dedication, determination, endurance. Um, you know, some of the highest points. I mean, when, when swimming is a very consistent, you have to do it all year round. There's never a whole lot of breaks in it. Yeah, it's a hard work. You know, hard working type of thing. You can you know a lot of our swimmers and divers get to eat. Kind of whatever they want to a certain degree, just because they burn burning so, much. so many calories. Um, but those are some of the things that you know. As a you know, they you know Michael Phelps, the you know the yeah. one that most people know when he was younger and still today, I'm sure struggles with a lot of ADHD, AD, yeah, you know that kind of stuff. And so putting him in a water. I mean, I'm sure ma- many parents out there have taken their kids to swimming pools before. They come home and their kids are half asleep on the way home. They're because, tired. Yeah, they're worn out. Yeah, and so. Um, you know, that's something that his mom did when he was younger. And I think that there's a lot of kids that get involved with swimming. Believe it or not, a lot of people that struggle with asthma um, have a tendency to gravitate towards swimming because um, when you're swimming, it's a consistent pattern of yeah, breathing. Yeah, you have to strengthen your breathing. Yeah, and so th- there's some strength to, to having, um, you know, some of some asthma and other things like that. But, I mean, I, it's so funny to hear uh, doctors say, oh, you got an injury of this? Go swim. Go swimming, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, it, like, I <laughs> – when I started uh, just going to my own gym where they have a swimming pool and I just thought I'm just going to start swimming some laps. And I think I swam like 15 laps or something, about died. But honestly, I, I my entire body ached. Like every tendon ached because I didn't realize how much of my body you're using in swimming with resistance. Yeah. But uh, I also know the Brooks family, your family and your older brothers and sisters – but nine kids or so, all were they all swimmers? You're yeah. a swimming family. Yeah. And it's funny because all these kids go play football. They all are getting head injuries. Parents don't want their kids to do it. But I think why are we not pushing more into swimming and making this healthy sport that's individual? It's also real psychological because you're in your head the entire time you're swimming, aren't right. you? I mean, it, and it can diving be therapeutic too. too. Yeah, I, could, I mean, I can totally see it. So yeah. I don't know. I just think we ought to somehow make it more prominent and yeah. maybe the way to do it is <laughs> do more service and do more, more crazy stuff like this <laughs> it's funny you have to get attention in a way somehow not that that was your goal but no it's hard too when everybody's the bigger sports yeah and all the money goes to the bigger so they're redoing your pool here at byu huh they are finally huh correct now you're gonna now you'll be national champs we hope so let's get it done good job i appreciate you john brooks thank you so much and keep up the great work at uh, as the byu swim coach and dive coach yeah thanks for having me on thank you we'll continue the journey folks helping you be the good in the world right here on the matt townsend show talk about good byu radio I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, when, we, um, when we're parents, it's hard maybe to find the, the sport that exactly fits your child. Um, we tend to just kind of draw from the same well. You know, if one child played football, the next one plays football. But are you willing to mix it up a little bit and, and maybe throw a curveball if you 
if you notice that, man, my kid is sure feels happy at being out in the pool, or um, there might be other signs that we might be able to use um, other other opportunities. I know a lot of parents that just simply for discipline's sake, they put their kids in um, in martial arts and maybe take give them a karate class. Or uh, I know I know of a person that they they know that their family tends to be a little bit more depressive. And they they like being outdoors and like being out in the sun, and so they do put their kids in swim classes so that they get a lot of sunlight and and get to go uh, be outdoors more often. And so there are ways in our lives to do that if we are a parent that's willing to adjust and look at what our children need. There are also some parenting beliefs that that maybe we ought to be willing to look at, um, little paradigms that we might hold as a parent that might need to be questioned. For example, one of the things that we end up coming up or or believing a lot is that if we don't fix a, a mistake today, it's going to end up creating a major permanent problem tomorrow, right? So a lot of us as parents, are we're very quick to try to correct any mistakes, any problems of our children. And, you know, it makes sense that, you know, that we want to help them make sure that they – you know, if they're not, if they're struggling with their homework now, we we got to jump on it because we don't want them to get to college and never be able to do homework. But there are some changes that happen too as kids get older. Like they learn how to study, they learn how to read, they learn how to adapt, they learn how to think. And so, don't always assume that you've got to jump on the problem, especially because if if you're jumping on it too fast, if you're controlling everything, um, then you may not even be allowing your child to see a failure. You're you're constantly um, maybe making the idea of failing as something that they you don't want your kids to do, and instead instead of that more valuable effort might be to spend some time understanding that failure is normal and in fact it's essential, and we let our child use their own failure to start to advance and and, and change themselves. Let's make challenge and failure a normal thing instead of something that we need to avoid instead of something that we need to immediately shut down and stop. Another belief that, uh, you know, that a lot of us, I think, have as parents is that if it worked for one of my kids, it may, it's going to work for other kids. And I remember thinking that as a parent, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be very consistent in my parenting with all of my children. But what I realized very quickly is that I can be as consistent as I want to be, but my kids are all different. And some of my kids needed, you know, a lot of rules and needed a lot of structure and needed to be shown uh, more how to do something. And a lot of my other kids needed some freedoms. They needed some slack in the rope. And so one of the myths we might want to blow up is that there is a one-size-fits-all way to raise a child and instead start seeing every child as a process of development that needs, you know, that that needs to go through its process. And we need to learn and, and adapt and change the rules and um, – and even the approach, the process, based on their abilities, their strengths. Another rule that it seems to kind of govern a lot of our parenting is the simple idea that mom and dad know best. You know, we obviously are more informed and, and smarter, and we know. We know what is best for our kids. And honestly, that would make sense if we were flexible and into our kids and and basically hearing what our children are saying. Many times our kids are telling you what they actually think, and we are not even paying attention to it. Many times they're giving us the guidance that we need, and um, we don't 
listen to it. Ask yourself, are you open to the thoughts and ideas of your children? Are you open to what they're saying? When my kids brought to me the idea that they wanted to buy an Xbox One, um, I, I immediately wasn't open to it. I didn't want it. I didn't want them to do it. And um, in my head, I'm thinking, they're just going to play video games all day. That's all they're going to do now. Now they're just going to play video games. But I had never seen these three kids be so motivated about something as organizing the money, getting online, getting in the classified section, finding it, talking about it, figuring out how they're going to pay for everything. And it it created a really interesting opportunity for us where – by me just uh, and my wife just loosening up a little bit and letting our kids um, do something that they were interested in and self-leading it, really for one of the first times in a long time, we found where they were motivated. And now that we're now that we've got them now that they're motivated and we can see that they're driving their own results on this, it's a powerful thing for us now as parents because we also have even more leverage with them now because we now know what we could – how we can now discipline them using something they're motivated about. How many times have you tried to discipline your child on something they don't care about? And instead this way, now we can say, look, if we can't get these other jobs and chores done, which we said needed to be done, if you're going to have time on your on your Xbox, then we're going to have to not have time on the Xbox. And now they're motivated. We found – and by the way, the answer came from them. Uh, another uh, belief we might want to blow up as quickly as we can is the belief that your children can be good or bad. A lot of us are very quick to tell them they're naughty or that, they've, that they're bad. You've done something bad. Um, the problem with it is is that a lot of times when we're telling them they're bad or we even might hear somebody think that, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, that one's – yeah, he's he's the tough one. Yeah, he's the ba- – not the bad one necessarily, but oh, that one, oh, yeah. It's just in his genes. Be careful when you reflect to your child uh, this idea that they are good or bad. They're, they're just kids. They're developing. They're growing. They're learning. And so we need to constantly reassure how important they are, how valued they are, how every child may be different, but they're obviously good, amazing, incredible, wonderful gifts from God. And they're inherently good. And we just need to figure out how this one drives, how to work this one, how to motivate this one, and communicate that unconditionally we're here for them no matter what. We love them. Now, behaviors can be less appropriate, less healthy, less effective, but no matter what, I love you unconditionally. That seems like an obvious one. And another myth and the final myth we might want to watch out for, we need to, as parents, quit living our lives vicariously through our children. Can they just now have their own life? How about that? Can they, can they do what they like to do? Can they not have to be in choir because you were in choir? I mean, is it possible that they're not a choir kid, but they're, they, maybe they would really be more drawn to debate? Can they go be in debate? Is that possible? If they don't want to be a football player, could they swim? And are you willing to listen to what they want instead of uh, trying to live everything through your life, I mean, in your way and your history and because it worked for you, it should work for your kids? With your guidance, we need to probably let our children have their own life. 
Let them succeed, let them fail, and then let them do that early enough that they realize that their life is in their hands. Don't overprotect them. Let them fail. Don't take credit for their successes. And don't abandon them when it doesn't go your way. You know, just a few ideas. Just a few ideas from your coach, your guide on the side. Hey, we'll continue the journey straight ahead. More empty news right here on the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Welcome back, friends. It's time to head back to the empty news and uh, Jeff Liam Simpson. Jeffrey, what uh, else should we be talking about? How about a former bank employee who was suspected of theft applying for a police job? Ah, seems like a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so he, this guy was uh, suspected of stealing from a bank. He was arrested Thursday by Arizona police during what he thought was an interview for a police dispatcher job. <laughs> Alberto Saavedra Lopez, 32, had been sought since October 2016 when a local bank filed a theft report, police said. Bank officials suspected Lopez, a former employee of that bank, stole about $5,000 between July and September of that year. Lopez moved to Phoenix and kept missing appointments with investigators and refusing to answer their phone calls. A warrant for his arrest was issued, but Lopez avoided contact with law enforcement officials for another year. This guy wow. is good at evading the police. Yeah, he's on the he's on the move. However, here's his downfall. In December, Lopez applied for a job opening as a dispatcher with the police department. During a background check, the warrant came to light and officers scheduled an interview at the Cottonwood Police Station on January 4th. When Lopez arrived for his interview, police officers placed him under arrest in connection with the bank theft. Busted. Yeah. Busted. They'll always get you. You cannot run. I used to get phone calls. I mean, this is this is a different scenario, but I used to get phone calls in one of the apartments I lived in yeah. as a college student, and it was creditors asking for the previous tenants. They would call every single day. Can you imagine the emotional and psychological toll something like this would put on you? Just being on the run every day, looking over your shoulder, watching your transactions very carefully. Waiting for the shoe to drop, the other shoe to drop. Then your taste. Yeah, sorry to get violent. Man, that's a, that's a in fact that's why we do the show, folks, to help you make sure you don't need to uh, to lead such a stressful life. Every day, 3 hours a day, and we will continue the journey more next hour right here on the Matt Townsend show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Hour number three of the game. And if you missed the first uh, couple hours, you may want to go look it up on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, Go to BYUradio.org. You can download all of our podcasts and enjoy what uh, what we have been celebrating 
for the last two hours. Celebrating? Yeah. All right. Did you not feel the cel- You didn't feel that? Mm, thought we were, you know, there was some discussion. Yeah. We talked about India and they're having problems with texts and it's filling up their phones. Yeah. It's filling up the phones that we used to use here that we then well, send to India. And, yeah. <laughs> and now they're having the problem with space that we all had. Yeah. Well, people send you a photograph. You get about 300 of those. All of a sudden your phone's full. <laughs> I bought uh, – we put 64 gig in my wife's phone. And well, really? Did, you put it in you, there or you, you purchased buy, it you that You got way? another phone? We or? bought a new phone okay. with 64 gig and she, I guarantee, will fill that up. Yeah. Well. Wow. And I, she's never been happier with me. Hmm. She has no phone problems. See, all she wanted was some space, Matt. Just give her some space. Just give her some space. That's all. It's, and I gave it to her. I wish my efforts to declutter my phone, since I only have 16 gigs, yeah. would translate into my everyday life. And yet it doesn't. It doesn't. I need I, I need to declutter my house, and yet I won't do it. But I'll, de- I'll declutter my phone. Yeah, but you can do that anywhere. Like when you're driving... In the restroom. It's a good point. You can just – you have time because your phone is always with you. During the show. Yeah. And by the way, do you not love your phone cover that I suggested you get? Are you well, loving how do it you, still? How do you know it has to do with you? Because I'm the one that – it looks exactly like the one I have. And I, I don't know what you're talking about. But it's I, the same one, isn't it? I love it. I, every day I love my phone more because I, my phone and my wallet are the same thing. Uh, and my, it takes a beating and keeps on ticking. My only issue hmm. is I can only fit three cards in mine. So I can't put any business cards in here. Yeah. I, it's hard to put my license in here. Right. So get well, a bigger get Simplify a bigger your life. Only use one credit card. If you, well, you've got the credit card. You've got the that's one debit of the, card, the business debit card. I, if one you, of the top if, financial tips, one credit card. For if everyone. you bought a bigger phone, you could put a lot of stuff in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, but then you got to spend all that money on the phone, $800. I have business no, cards you. in mine. Yeah, hmm. Look at that. His, Not his, to brag. His little horrible wallet phone thing is huge. Look at that. It's all full of all horrible. kinds of... Oh, horrible. Horrible wallet. Say that? It actually, it, it, it's about the size of a real phone. Yeah. It's not like these little kitty phones that some of you all use. <laughs> um, <laughs> kitty phones. So we, we've got a lot to cover. Interesting um, stuff uh, in D.C. Moeller is still doing his investigation. He's around. He did things last week, and then he lets people know the next week. I think he's doing it just to say, uh, hey... Remember me? I think it. I, I Guys, think, don't don't worry about shutting down the government. Remember me? Remember me? We got this investigation going. It's over here, just sort of. He's like a shark. He's just circling. No, oh, but see, maybe what this His all means out. is this is going to be over, and then President Trump will be free and untethered from FBI investigation. There you go. Won't that feel good? You forgot the biased part of the investigation. Well, it's it is biased, yeah, but. Uh, well, some people feel no right. So. Let's just get it over with. And then let's let the president get back to what he does best. Executive time? Which is? Negotiating and deal-making. Tariffs on washing machines? And no, notice he's creating some seriously great economy right now. He's moving a lot of judges forward. Hmm. He's, um, yeah, that's that stuff. So... We, we'll be talking about that. I'm sure you'll cover some of that <laughs> Saturday, in the headlines. Saturday Night Live. Well, let's pause. It's been one year. Let's pause 
and review all of Donald Trump's successes. And the word taxes rolls by on the screen. And the guy that was doing the, he's at the anchor desk reaching for a, a, you know, a cup of water to take a drink. And he's like, oh, was that it? Okay, we'll put that back. And then he goes back on, you know, they're showing that you, what, taxes, Neil Gorsuch, and the rest of the federal bench that he's added yeah. six or seven more justices right. to. Well, and he's undone a lot of Obama's issues. Right. Uh, which a lot of those 50 percent of the people are grateful yeah. for. And, um, you know, he's taught the world about tweeting. He's showed mm. that the press may have a bias. He's uh, introduced an entirely new phrase, fake news. Well, distorted phrase. <laughs> that never yes. existed before him. So that's what I mean, he said. I mean, the reality is, is he gets a bad rap because everybody – you know, certain members of the news don't seem to like it. Doesn't he kind of invite the bad rap? Well, some would say that because of things he says. Okay. But he's just he just likes to stir the pot. I would love to hear him rapping. Mm. Would you think it would be – would that be a bad rap? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Most people aren't great rappers, period. There's a talent to it. Go ahead, Matt. No. There's a lot of people <laughs> that just shouldn't rap. Demonstrate a bad rap. No. That's uh, that's not going to happen. All right. But um, nice try there, Jeff. But people, you know, again, it's only been a year, and like even our last guest that was talking about Puerto Rico, who went to Puerto Rico, mm. he's like, it's not. A, I mean, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. But it's also it's not like it sounds. I mean, what we right. hear in the press, it's not a barren wasteland. It's not a barren wasteland, yeah. and yet that's what we seem to hear more of, and then. Some are arguing we don't hear enough of that anyway. Mm. But that's why it's so important that the press just do their job. Okay. In an unbiased way, if you can do that. Uh, but let's let's get to the headlines. Find out what other news we should be tracking down. Terry, what's up? President Trump has not fired special counsel Robert Mueller, partly because of the public relations disaster that would ensue from such a move, the White House said on Tuesday. Oh. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders told reporters that the president was aware of the ramifications of any moves against Mueller, who is leading the Russia investigation, so often dismissed as a witch hunt by Trump. Asked whether Trump would go so far as to fire Mueller, Sanders said, I think we all know what everyone in this room would do if the president did that, and I don't think that it's helpful to the process. Why do they keep bringing that up? He's not going to fire Mueller now. He's not. Trump wants to see this to the end. He wants to see them finally come to the same conclusion that I think most everyone in America has, that there is nothing to this. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. But he's not going to fire him. It's almost, it's nearing an end, which means it could be done in six months. Her comments came shortly after the Washington Post reported that Mueller is planning to interview Trump about his firing of FBI Director James Comey Hmm. and National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, a move that some believe constitutes obstruction of justice, which yeah. is what they never talk about. Like I said, they talk right. about collusion. collusion. So, yeah. and, and by the way, this isn't even as as much about Russia anymore no. as obstruction. No. Uh, Family Research Council uh, Chief Tony Perkins said this week that conservative evangelical leaders are willing to overlook or to look the other way over President Trump's bad behavior so long as he delivers on policy. Because hmm. we kind of gave him, all right, you, you get a mulligan. You get a do-over here, Perkins said on Politico's Off Message podcast in light of uh, news that Trump allegedly had an affair and paid off a woman in 2006. Perkins said conservatives were were tired of being kicked around by Barack Obama and his leftists, (laughs) and I think they're finally glad that there's somebody on the playground that is willing to punch the bully. Wow. He goes, look, Christianity is not all about being a welcome mat, which people can just stomp their feet on. 
Whoa. Wow. So we'll give the president a mulligan for all of his bad behavior because he's passing things we agree with. Well, but that's we've talked about this on the show a million times. Yeah, yeah we're all biased that way. Some thought, some thought Obama walked on water. Sure. And I'm pretty sure he was just actually just, in the water. Just a guy. Just swimming. Saw him in Hawaii yeah. many times swimming. Yeah, we all have that bias, yeah. So. Uh, when the government of Hawaii accidentally sent a statewide text message telling residents a ballistic missile was about to strike their home, the first indication the warning was a false alarm came from Representative Tulsi Gabbard, of, of Democrat from Hawaii, on Twitter. It would have come from Hawaii Governor David uh, IGE. Ig, 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 whatever. Ig. Their, their governor. It would have come from their governor. He said Monday, but he couldn't remember how to get into his Twitter account. <laughs> he goes, "I have to confess that I don't know my Twitter logins and uh, the passwords and all that. So certainly that's one of the changes I've made." He told the Washington Post for a report published Tuesday. Now he added that he has been putting account information on my phone so we can access the social media directly. So I'm not sure if he had the Twitter app on his phone or even had the passwords to get on it if he was yeah. on, on like a laptop or desktop or something. Uh, so the the uh, the representative got her her Twitter post up within 12 minutes of the alert. Uh, his password ker- ker- kerfuffle, as it says yeah. here, delayed from another five minutes. And the official corrective text message was not sent until 38 minutes after the this is not a, a test. Ballistic it's hard. It's in. hard to keep all your passwords, you know, up. Oh, it's just complicated. It's difficult. It's very tough. Yeah. And finally, a rise in disputes over carriage fees, right? Which is the, the money that, that cable providers pay to TV stations to carry their channel on their cable service. This, these carriage fees, it's, it's becoming more and more expensive. It's content costs increasing. They're causing a number of TV blackouts to skyrocket, meaning consumers sometimes can't access their favorite shows. Right. So you'll get your cable channel. They go to the they go to the provider of the cable system, and they say, we want to raise the rates that you're paying us to carry our, our content. Right. The cable company goes, no, we can't do that because it'll raise the price for our customers. And they're like, well, fine, we're not going to let you. And they shut the channel down, and then you get the thing where they're blaming the cable channel and the cable channel has a thing uh, blaming people hmm. everyone's blaming everyone over when it when in essence one person just wants more money and the other people doesn't want right it. You know, so all that so according to american tv alliance 2017 was the worst year for tv blackouts on record were more than twice as many as the year before right so in mm. 2010 there were eight blackouts that's it mm. just okay eight. 2010 eight blackouts right last year there were 213 uh-oh. See, people are fighting, positioning. In 2016, there were 104. Ooh. Hmm. So from 2016, you had 104. In 2017, there's 213, so more than 100 more blackouts. Okay. Wow. It's getting ugly. As they're fighting over fees for your TV, and it comes down to people are cutting the cord and not, not well, paying that's for cable. Why, so. That's why what we need is instead of having a lot of people fighting, what we ought to just have is like four major media companies. All right. And because there's, we found this really great graphic today. Um, Terry found it. That's a graphic showing who the real players are in the business, right. what they own. I'll throw it up on uh, Twitter here in a few minutes. But Just put it up, please. It's, well, I'll do that too. But it's from Recode website. Yeah. Um, but they, it shows uh, like AT&T has a $229 billion market cap. 
They're huge. Meaning of the total media market, that's how much of it they have. The graphical uh, shows, like, by color, what they're, they're in distribution, but they're also kind of trying to get into content. They're starting to buy content. So, like, they own DirecTV, and DirecTV is starting to make their own shows. So there's a content area yeah, there. Interesting. And AT&T is trying to buy Time Warner. Uh-huh. Time Warner is a content company. Time Warner makes movies and TV shows. So here you have the dis- distribution with AT&T, because they also have yeah. a cable... Well, internet. They have internet. Uh, they're an internet provider. So right. all of a sudden, they're making a TV show that you see over like a streaming service that they own. <laughs> so all the different avenues of how you watch a program are owned by one group. Right. And so they're. You'll see now that AT and T has deals that you can get a phone, but they'll also give you a cut deal on Directv. Well, or I've, you can get a, a free app for a cable network, and you can get it for a free year, a year for free, yeah. if you sign up for a new phone plan because they're moving these deals around because well, they own a AT and T's into everything. I mean, they'll even do blood platelets. They'll do. <laughs> they're into everything. Yeah, right. again, so, Sue knife. Then you have Disney. They have when it comes to uh, content, they're one hundred sixty-seven billion dollars. One sixty-seven billion in content, right? Uh, and they're trying to buy twenty-first century Fox. More That's content, about sixty-eight billion. Don't there. do it. So imagine the merger though between like an AT and T, Time Warner, Disney mm. ugh, would create a half a trillion dollar. At what point monolith. is it a monopoly? Uh, right there. <laughs> yeah, that's the other problem. Is when you start owning distribution, content, and the streaming video. Yeah. Does that constitute a monopoly? And that's what the Department of Justice will look at. Lately, that yeah. doesn't seem like they seem to think that's the case. They need to give Disney a slap in the face. Whoa. Wow. That seemed violent. Yeah. Sorry. That came from a dark much. place. <laughs> so I'll put this up. It's an interesting yeah, graphic when you start seeing who owns what, where is it at, and how it affects you. Yeah. Because then you'll, you'll see over here there's a little tiny little dot here. It says Hulu. Yeah, little red and dot. And all the big dots have a piece of it. Shouldn't it be a green dot if it's Hulu? Uh, yeah, but they're not. They're not trying to do branding. Oh, I see. So Hulu is this. It's kind of like a Netflix, but it's smaller. Right. When it comes to the actual number, but 21st Century Fox has 30 percent of it. Disney has 30 percent. Time Warner has 10 percent. Comcast has 30 percent. So all these companies own this one streaming. Yeah. Now, if Disney buys 21st Century Fox, they'll have a 60% stake, majority stake, in that so streaming they service. Own Hulu. Mm. Yeah. Why but, isn't Hulu a bigger player? They're, they're winning more awards than Netflix. Right. Yeah, but they're just a little dot. But that's basically just from one show. Netflix is a bigger dot. But they're also owned by the industry, it looks like. Yeah. Right? Where Netflix is independent from some of that. Yeah. So maybe that's holding them back. Who knows? It's it's a tangled web, but whatever it is, I don't want people messing with it. Which too is much. probably why people are cutting their cable because this is the mess, yeah. And it costs so much money because they just keep raising prices. Oh, I just I, I looked at my cable again the other day, and I'm like, why? We cut it, and we have not looked back once. Mm, you come in and asking how you're going to watch certain shows. That happened twice. That's him looking forward to the next show. Is it? I, I had to figure out a way to watch the World Series. Uh, and uh, That's, that's kind of looking back, though, because you're like, oh, wait. Uh, blast it. How am I going to do this because I've made this other decision? No, there's solutions. Is your family happier, by the way? I think so. That's good. And we have more money in our bank account. That's really good to know. Which translates into happiness, right? Money, money equals happiness? Actually, well, no. 
No, it's not. What? Up to uh, what a certain you... amount of money, $70,000. What are you talking about? Yeah. Only up to seventy grand. Right. That was the study. Seventy grand is happy. You're just cruising through life. Money does not correlate to more happiness at $75,000. i have never heard this. Yeah. Wow. So money is the root of all evil. I thought up it was the after, love of money that was the root of all evil. After 70 grand. Now, the person that said that obviously isn't making 70 grand a year. No, obviously, uh, yeah, not. He's probably a charitable worker working for to serve right. a higher purpose. And you can, and if you make more than seventy grand, then the axiom of mo money, mo money, mo problems. It wasn't just it wasn't yeah. just Bob who stands outside the Burger King. No, he wasn't the one that said no that? with the sign. Yeah, no. Um, anyway, uh, okay, great news, I guess. <laughs> we just sort the, of... the love of money, or what What did you say? The, the money? Lo- money is the root of all evil. The love yeah. of money is the root of I all evil. I don't think a hobo would get much money with that ax- or with that uh, maxim. I don't think hobo is the term we use anymore. Um, <laughs> hmm. Uh, uh, homeless. Anyway. Homeless person. Eh. Okay. Jobless? Um, eh. Quit while you're ahead. Let's just... I was ahead? Yeah, at some point. <laughs> okay. Um, wow, it's amazing how fast it just gets away from you. It's just slippery. Yeah, you're like, well, we're we're doing pretty well. Then all of a sudden, where did that go? How did that happen? <laughs> I feel and like that Jeff was a jab at me. Into the hobo talk. <laughs> By the way, I was a hobo once um, for Halloween. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you have the sack and uh-huh. everything? I had the sack. What and do they call it? Satchel on a stick thing? Yeah. Yeah. And patches? What? Patches? Patches on my, my overalls, yeah. Okay. And I'd jump a train. <laughs> See, now that that part of it seems fun. Mm. The train. It's dangerous. Don't do it at Train home. hopping. It's all fun and games till you miss, miss the, the train. jump. Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous. Anyway, uh, straight ahead, we're going to be talking about relationships with Dr. Brian Willoughby and talking about uh, some words you could remove from your vocabulary that might actually enhance the tone of your conversation that might enhance your relationships. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's time to talk relationships. Who better to do it with than our good friend, Dr. Brian Willoughby, who is an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University. And um, also, by the way, if you go to his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, you can get more information there. He's also the author of the book, The Marriage Paradox, uh, teaches here on campus and has an expertise in dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marriage formation, marital attitudes and beliefs. And we love him, having him on here. Dr. Brian, thank you for being here. Good to be here again. Um, you're, today, you're going to talk about the fact that, I mean, there are – communications important. Right. But the words we use are also important. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, there's you're, – you're really – the article that we're citing is the fact that you need to, you need to butt out of your relationship. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the issues – with like you said, communication is important. In fact, everyone knows that. Yeah, we right? know like, we need to. I've actually done some of my research. We've asked people, "What do you need to have a healthy relationship?" Ask young adults, "What do you need before you get married?" Communication number one. Yeah. What are you looking for in a good partner? A good communicator, right? Yeah. So we, we've got this kind of 
rhetoric in our culture that we know you need to be a good communicator. Yeah. And and we have this like the way I kind of think about it is most people, 75 percent know what that means. <laughs> right. The issue is with communication, though, is that 25 percent and some of the specific words we use can actually undermine everything else. Yeah. And we, and we think we know how to communicate and then we throw in some word. Right. That erases everything you just said. Exactly. And then the problem is we think we're being really responsible and really good uh-huh. at communicating and getting our point across. And then we get frustrated in our relationships and saying, I'm doing everything right. right. I'm being open. I'm telling you how I feel. Yeah. I'm being honest with my emotions. But we still are having a lot of conflict. Right. And and so we can get into the words. Before we get into the words, um, like the more I've studied communication, the more I realize uh, it's more than just being able to say what you need to say and being able to understand. I mean, communication is how you make meaning up. Right. Yeah. The way I describe it to people is that communication is a guessing game first off. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's about meaning. In other words, when we communicate with someone, when I'm communicating with someone, I'm sending you messages both through my words and my nonverbals. Yeah. And you have to decipher what does that mean? The word I use in my classes is decoding because it's kind of like a spy game. Right, exactly. You're getting all these clues. You're getting all this information. And you have to decode what is it that you meant when you said that and looked that way when you said it. Yeah. In fact, uh, with my clients, I'll have them rate their marriage from 1 to 10. Ten's the best ever. One's the worst ever. Mm -hmm. And then I have them both write their scores down and then they show each other. Their score, <laughs> and um, they get like some will just get ticked, right? Like you're a three, yeah. You're a three. After all I've done this week, you yeah. are a three, and they're fighting. And I'm always like, now remember, remember that this is just this is communication. All we're doing is just helping you understand what a three means to him, right? Versus a four means to you. Yeah. But it's interesting how quickly we react to. Um, that data. Right. Exactly. And, and as I, I tell people sometimes, because a lot of people want to be the old, you know, elderly couple yeah. where it's like, I look at you and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do the dishes. Yeah. Well, how do you get that way? Well, right. that's that's 30 years of understanding codes. That's and right. Figuring and that, it out. Figuring out. And I know, you know, and sometimes you don't even need to vocalize anymore because I know so well what your nonverbals mean. It's so true. But that takes years of, of encoding, decoding, mm-hmm. and being patient enough to understand um, what's the anomaly with this conversation that's different right. than last conversation? Like mm-hmm. I have a couple that uh, their marriage was really struggling. Then they got it up to eights and nines. They're, they were doing so well for like two or three months. Then they, they've been sick for three straight weeks mm-hmm. in the new year. They had expectations of keeping that nine going. Right. They're sick. They're not able to touch and talk and care and do what they used to do. The 12 days of Christmas were gone. They're not right. doing that anymore. <laughs> And um, their marriages are now fives, and they're, like, demoralized. Right. Yeah, it's but all over now. It's so weird. And I'm like, so if we just took your sicknesses out of it, yeah. what would your relationships be? And they're like, well, it would be a lot better. Right. So part of that is mincing and trying to understand that words are words, meanings right. are meanings, and let's just let it float. Let mm-hmm. us just keep figuring it out as exactly. we go. Yeah. Um, some words do get in the way. And what, one that you, you suggest we need to maybe do more of removing – from certain conversations is taking – getting rid of the but. Yep. The but word. Yeah, the but word. Yep. Yeah, the B-U-T. <laughs> the one B-U-T. T. Yeah, now why? <laughs> Talk to us about why. So so something – there's something interesting about but when you put it in a sentence, right? So so it's this in-between word where you yeah. usually have two thoughts. Yeah. That you're connecting together. 
But we're actually trained in in the English language, at least, that when you hear the word "but," what that means is that there's two ideas, yeah, and the one after is more important than the one that came first, right? right? But but seem to build a wall, right? I always say, but other words can build a bridge between mm-hmm. the words. The two words can coexist, right? But when you put the "but" in there, they can't coexist. The and the issue is, is that in relationships, we usually use the word "but" one in conflict. And two, when we are apologizing or yeah. when we're trying to resolve conflict. And so the way it oftentimes is structured is, I'm really sorry that I did this, but <laughs> here's why I did it. Yeah. And, and again, because the, of how we interpret that but word, what that usually means to our partner is, you're not really sorry. No. You're just attacking me for whatever's after that word. Right. You, you said the but word. Exactly. And so um, I, I love you. I love you so much, but mm-hmm. you can't act like that. Right. And so oftentimes, actually, if you think about this in your own life, when you hear someone say the word but, you often just ignore what came before. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like it wasn't even there. Well, it's, and it almost feels manipulative, like, yeah. oh. Yeah. So you, sure. you're, you're kind of throwing the, the, the olive branch out yeah. and then ripping it back. Right. And then that creates this really negative pattern sometimes where we're in conflict and then I think I'm apologizing and then explaining why. Right. So I think I'm being good in my yeah. communication because I've apologized. I'm explaining why it happened. I'm trying to – and you're just mad at me. Yeah. And then you do the same thing back and I don't hear your apology and now it just feels like we're attacking each other. Yeah. It's so interesting. And it's a subtle word, mm-hmm. right? I mean so if you use I'm sorry but or I love you but or – you know, hey, really great job on cleaning the house, but you missed two spots here. Right. Every time you're using the butt in those scenarios, you're, yeah. you've nullified probably any good you've tried to do. Yeah. And again, it goes back to meaning, is that we place meaning on words. And so when people use the butt, we assume that the meaning is you didn't care about the first part. And let's go with that cleaning example. If my partner says, thank you for cleaning so much, but next time will you fix this? What I'm going to probably think you meant is I hated that you tried to do this so horribly yeah. or you totally messed it up, <laughs> get with the program. Right. And, and, but then they'll, I didn't mean that. I mean, right. I told you you did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is where one of, one of the issues here is that because this is how but is used everywhere else in our life, right. there's a cultural meaning, right? So we talked about there's a couple meaning that you learn and grow right. and develop around, but there's also cultural meanings around the words. And, and this is actually used all the time in the workplace yeah. with managers, with bosses, yeah. right? Great work this year on that project, but here's where you can improve. Yeah. Because that's all I care about as your manager. I want more improvement. Yeah. I want more work. I want you to work harder. And so when I hear that all the time at work and I'm used to interpreting that as I just need to do better and better, well, when my spouse says it or my partner, I'm going to use that same meaning. Interesting. True. True. And then um, – and again, it can be – you can try to deliver it with the best tone. Mm-hmm. You can try with the best meaning and intent, but it's still it's still a needle push. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's still a needle. Yeah, the butt is. is a – it's a needle. And however gently you insert the needle, it's still a needle. Yeah, particularly like I said, because it's used so oftentimes in conflict resolution. Yeah. So the yeah. emotions are already heightened. You're already kind of trying to fight back that defensiveness sometimes yeah. that, that it is. It can feel like that little prick. And maybe what you could do too is um, just being attentive to the but. I, I like to use the word and more mm-hmm. because an and seems to build a bridge between two ideas. Mm-hmm. I also like people to question that maybe it's better that you don't even say the other half of right. the equation. Yeah. Right now, let's just talk about how much you love that they helped clean. Right. And down the road – Mm-hmm. You can go 
tell them that we only put the whites with whites. We don't put colored colors in the. And if you feel like you have to say it for whatever reason, if it has to be said in that moment, one of the things that I talk about in 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 this article is just put a period. Yeah, just take that word out. Period. Because then what happens? It's this kind of magical thing. Is now there's a pause and it feels like two separate thoughts. Yeah. And so, and this sounds kind of odd in some ways, but it's actually important. If my partner's going to get mad, they can just get mad at the second part. That's right. Right. So you know, thank you for doing the dishes. Hey, next time, could you do it that way? Yeah. Well, now if you're going to get frustrated that I'm nitpicking, you're going to frustrate it, but it's still going to feel like I validated something. That's right. Something. That's right. And, and, and it seems like you at least saw right. what I did. Yeah. They become two separate yeah. interpretations where when I put that but word in, it feels like one thought. How much of this matters um, more, not, not even in the moment what's said, but really what has been said for the five years prior to this? Yeah. Because it seems like how I communicate with you for years determines how we interpret today. Yeah, that, that's another piece of this because like I said, because this is oftentimes a conflict issue, most relationships over time develop their little conflict issues, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, it's budgeting, it's intimacy, right. it's parenting, right? There, there's unique things that come up, but most long-term relationships are going to have those two or three issues that keep coming up. And so you're right, there's a history there. And so that's going to prime me for the conflict we've had in the past. And so I might even be more primed to be waiting for you to attack this particular thing because I know yeah. it's happened before. I've felt this way before. And so it's harder for me than to hear that validation. So true. Um, we, we can get into, I guess, Gottman's work on the ratio that needs to be there of positive to negatives. Do you right. worry about that? I mean, I know it, it's real. It, it's, right. it, it affects us. Does it really matter if we if we are putting on more sincere positives versus negatives? I, I think that specific five to one ratio you're referencing, yeah. it's not like that's some magic number. It's got to be that to number. Hit. Right. I, I think the concept behind it, though, is important, is that in any relationship, we need to have a balance between positive and negatives. And, and we'd all love that relationship that is 100% positive all the time, yeah. but that's not going to happen realistically. And so – Part of, I think, that ratio is that we don't overreact to the negatives. When, when our partner does make a mistake in communication, when they do use a but or they use something else that's attacking or criticizing, that's going to happen and, and we work through it and we need the positives to feel uplifted and feel reconnected in our relationships. But we don't overreact and say – in fact, I was talking to a, a guy helping him with his relationship earlier this week and he was really struggling as a dating relationship and – he had had its great interactions with this woman many, many times. Had you know, they actually known each other for a decade, hmm. but they had one negative interaction while they were dating, and he was really concerned by that. He said, "I, I don't know if I want this relationship anymore because we had this, this interaction event. <laughs> and it was negative, and I don't feel happy about her anymore." Interesting. And so we had to talk about it and say, "Well, but isn't that what your marriage would be like one day? You yeah. know, you're going to have days where you're not happy, and the communication isn't good, and so you need to think back and, and remember all this positive interaction you've had." It's so true. But we do get fixated on that one thing. And we also – it seemed – I call it assume necessity where we, a lot of us have these assumptions. We assume things have to be certain ways. Right. Dishes have to be done a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like there is a benefit to being able to suspend your need to control everything. Right. Yeah. Because it's exhausting. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client where they just always have to say the but. Right. Even without a but, they mm-hmm. still have to say the contrary 
thing. It's the backhanded compliment almost. They they still have to say it. Is there any way to get that out of your system? Right. Well, and this is another issue with with words like but is that really what it – is or why we use it is to do what's called controlling communication, which means I'm using my communication to try to get you to change. And one thing I I try really hard with my students and other people get them to understand is that that's not what we use communication for. I mean, people do, but that's not what healthy communication is. Like we were talking about, healthy communication is about meaning and understanding. I talk to my partner to understand them, and that's it. Yeah. I'm not trying to change them. I'm not trying to get them to do the chores better, to do the dishes a certain way. Like you said, is I have to let go of that. And if it is really frustrating me, I use my communication to understand what they're thinking about it. Yeah. You know, hey, you know, uh, why are you stacking the dishes a certain way? Why right. are you doing the laundry this way? I want to understand your perspective, <laughs> yeah. not because I want to change it. No, it's so true. And it's and if you got in and actually understood why they do do it that way, you might find out, oh, they're going for efficiency. Right. Not necessarily cleanliness. Right. So efficiency would be, yeah, you yeah. just stack then, it that way. And then the issue is is that if I do feel like you you have a certain perspective that I I don't think is helping us. That's the key thing. It can't be about I want it done this way. Yeah. It's something about that is, you know, it's our, our house is so disorganized that it's affecting our ability to interact with each other and our kids. But now it's a problem for us to solve together. Mm. Hey, this is an issue. Here's what I'm seeing. And I'm going, do you agree? Do you think this is an issue? Okay, I can see your point. What can we do together to solve it? Yeah. It becomes less about what you want and what I want you to change uh-huh. and more about what can we both do to help solve this issue. Because then it's not, yeah, then it's, because it, it could always be about, your taste, your way. Right. Um, oh, it's an interesting thing. But part of it too, I guess, is we should probably never assume we understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times we quickly just, oh, I mean, I've been with you 10 years. I know exactly right. what you mean. Yeah. Another really important thing that I teach people about communication is you have to clarify all the time. Even if you've been together for decades and decades, like you were saying earlier, sometimes there's interactions we have where you say something like, that, that doesn't fit with what you usually yeah. say. There's something off here. Instead of brushing it off and saying, I must have misheard or I'm just going to assume based on me knowing you, is asking clarifying questions, asking for examples. Yeah. You know, that's part of that active listening. And sometimes we forget that piece. Right. We think good communication is telling you everything that I want <laughs> right. in a very clear and articulate way. Here's my emotions. Here's what I want. And we forget that, again, if communication is meaning, I have to be listening and, and articulating what I think you said Asking for those examples and clarification with, again, the entire goal being to understand your perspective. Yeah, that's powerful. And then, boy, you get good at that. And and also notice if your wife is happy, notice it. Right. And clarify. Why are you so happy? You seem happy. Why are you so happy? If they're not happy, clarify. Right. But a lot of us are like, I don't want to go there. (laughs) Right. I'm sure I did something uh, wrong. Yeah. It's probably, yeah. It's probably the dishes. Probably. Always the dishes. So watch out for the butts. Um, Put a period. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any other words that we could be watching out for? I guess any strong, aggressive language. Yeah, anything that's criticizing. You know, one one of the things Gottman talks about this too is the you always, you never statements. Yeah, the you. Are other big ones that that we use a lot in relationships. Um, And and that oftentimes comes from a place of insecurity, right? So we see something and we feel like we see it all the time. Right, usually about little things like, oh, you, ne- right. you you're not going to do that because yeah. you never do that. Or you always are yeah. like that with the kids. 
And, and, and again, those are statements we use to control. Yeah. We're trying to overgeneralize it to make our partner feel bad. It's, it's emotional manipulation to try to get them to change. I, I learned to always, uh, always, but use your, state your opinions as an opinion, mm-hmm. not as a fact. A lot of times we state right. an opinion factually, yeah. just the neat use of a B verb, like yeah. you are so yeah. lazy. Yeah. Another, I think, really important one with these kind of specific words is the you make me Oh yeah. phrase, right? And especially you make me feel. You make and, me mad. Yeah, you make exactly. me mad. You know, and, and I have to help people understand sometimes like, you know, Nobody makes you feel right. a certain way. You're feeling an emotion. It might be because of something they did, but that's about you. That's about how you're processing your it, process. how, you, how yeah. you're thinking, your perception about it. And so don't put the blame on, on another person or your partner because you're angry or right. sad. Yeah. Help them understand maybe why you interpreted it that way. So good. Wow. That's great stuff. Well, Brian, we appreciate it. Again, helping us uh, helping us watch our words and understand our partner better. Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name, an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University. You can find out more by going to his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. Good stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Time to mosey down, folks, to our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation, and we'll see what uh, they're cooking up for their show that starts in about 10 minutes. Today, it's going to be Jerem and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hello. How are you? How are you like guys? old-timey music. You like that? Yeah. That's how we are. It's the old-timers uh, shooting it down to you young punks. Young punks. You youngins. I'll take, we'll take it. Yeah, I will, be, I will take the uh, punk just to be called young. Yeah. No, you guys... But young, and I mean that in the best way possible, young and punk. Best, yeah. Best way possible. Hey, um, question for you. I, I guess LeBron, you know, reaches 30,000-point milestone. Congrats, young king. Big deal, right? I mean, what's 30,000 points? The How? bigger deal was that he congratulated himself on 30,000 before he reached 30,000. Is there anything more tone deaf than talking to yourself in the third person? Probably? Oh, that's funny. Jerem thinks this is atrocious. <laughs> that's like he, really good. He did a social media post to himself. Did he really? It's just really weird and tone deaf. Yeah, and I mean, I mean if anything could have happened. Wouldn't that have been funny? Jams a finger, can't play. Then he would have looked like a silly, silly person. Come on. Yeah, I mean, and if, if he jammed his finger and couldn't play, I mean, the Cavs would be in big trouble. They'd start losing games. Oh, wait a minute. Hold They're it. already losing games. This is a classic Cavs tale. This is the, <laughs> the conflict. But it's all Kevin Love's early, fault. Yeah. Or I thought it was the coach's fault. No, I think everyone hates Kevin Love on that team. So he's going down no matter what, apparently. Apparently. He's going to take it for the team. I mean, it's a it's a strong, amazing team, and they they lose. Yeah, they have some issues, but the Cavs, they always have issues in January, and then they get it together, and they're competitive in the playoffs, and they make the finals, and they lose to the Warriors twice. They beat them once. Yeah, it'll still they'll... be it'll still be the same teams in the NBA Finals. Yeah. It'll be with the Celt- Warriors and the Cavs. Celtics have a shot there to make it interesting, but, yeah, the Cavs are – they always do this. This is, this is like the same storyline. This is the Force Awakens. Like this is Episode Four again. We've seen this. <laughs> does, it's just new people. Do, do you um, do you think LeBron leaves at the end of this year? 
Does he I go to L.A.? Good, Does he go somewhere? Yeah, I think there's a good chance. I he mean, won he's the title all, in Cleveland. Yes, like, it's over. He's given he Cleveland a championship. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, I, I think he probably just doesn't care what anybody thinks anymore. He's just going to go have fun the rest of his career. He's going to tweet at himself or post an Instagram <laughs> to himself it's, from the future. Uh, it gets hard with some of these big, these big, you know, awesome players because yeah, the ego gets so big. You know, it's like they dealing, don't have egos, Matt. I don't it, know what you're talking. It's about. like dealing with media personalities. You know what I mean? There's a quote: "Show me talent with no ego, and I'll show you bad talent." Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, geez. That's from Spencer Linton. That's really good. Spencer's <laughs> a poet, and I didn't even know it. Um, so, what's on your show today? Okay, we're going to talk about the 2018 football schedule. We'll tell you why, but we can't for eight minutes. Wow. Yeah, you got that's a tease. Plus, St. Mary's is tomorrow. BYU at St. Mary's. This is a big game. Oh, scary. Why St. Mary's gets on the BYU fan base nerves more than Gonzaga? What is it about that? We'll talk with Skylar Halford, former Cougar hoopster, who's beaten St. Mary's. Mm. He'll be in studio. It's also our uh, weekly chance to jam with Juddy, Jeff Judkins, in studio. (laughs) Talk about his team. And he's a sports fan, so we could talk to him about anything in the sports world, which is great. Oh, yeah. You can, I mean, pro basketball player, for heaven's sakes. Ask him anything. Ask him about LeBron speaking in third person. We could. And did Fred Warner just change positions at the Senior Bowl? What's that all about? Hmm. What is that all about? Mm, We'll tell you. See, that's the thing. You tease us, and we're so teased, but we still have to wait seven minutes to know. And the main thing is the football schedule. Just keep that in mind. It's all about learning patience, Matt. Is there a secret? Is there a secret in the schedule? Is something is something popping that we don't know about? Fine. We will break the news. BYU is playing Utah all 12 games. What? <laughs> what is going on? And that does not bode well for BYU. No, except it might mean that we'd win one. Statistically. I don't live my life in mites. <laughs> yeah. Good. And and thank heavens for that. Hey, can anybody tell us where Spencer is, or is that a secret? Is that a secret like one of your teases? He has the day off. I know, but like, I want to know where he is because I want to go show up. None of my beeswax. You're trying to he, keep it he cool. Always, he always explains why he's taking a day off. I don't want anyone to know why I'm taking a day off. Well, we know why you are. Reason. Yours is easy. <laughs> you have to serve community service. Listen, Court was order. An incident a long time ago, Matt. We don't need to bring it up. Well, it's, I think it still continues, right? I mean, this, the high-speed chase on campus. I thought the 5,000 hours was quite excessive. <laughs> they just love they love your community service. Hey, That's the problem. The highways until, are clean on the side because of me. Yeah, until the community service is over, that is not expunged. No, it's not. And be careful because I know people that what didn't did finish just... their community service and they went back to the pokey. My community service is at my uh, ward every week, yeah. and I give them 10%, man. Man, you're a giver and a faithful member. Of... I used to babysit some 10-year-old scouts. I mean, I was in Cub Scouts. Oh, I thought you were in nursery, but then you threw the scouts thing in there. <laughs> nope, you're in scouting. babysitting as well. Always a scout. Well, good stuff, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Go pump up and get that body makeup on. Those, those are the guys. They're really good at teasing. Did you hear their teases? Like, I feel like they've teased me, and now uh, I can do nothing but tune in in five minutes. They've got you. Yeah. We need to get, we need to get better with our teases on this show. What are you talking about? We, we don't seem to tease like they do. Oh, come on. No. 
You you have such gripping teases as stick with us. Yeah, up next. And you're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss it. Up next. Stick with us. But then nothing else is said after that. Mm -hmm. Now I have to know what comes next. Nope, not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. Uh, We've had a great show. We've learned a lot of interesting things, including from animals, from um, we learned about not to use the word but in your conversation. Be careful because that always builds builds a wall, not a bridge. People do not believe what you say after using a but. We learned that you can get your kids to go to sleep if you let them put you to sleep first. Yes, exactly. And which is some say bad parenting, but Terry said it was good parenting. Yeah, but that's Terry. Uh, Anyway, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story of the day. And uh, today we have three off-duty first responders that will be the hero. They were all at the right place at the right time Friday when they saved a man at a restaurant in Essex. Essex Police uh, Chief Peter Silva, retired Wenham Police Lieutenant Larry Cavanaugh, and Hamilton Deputy Police Chief Kirby Brand were having lunch at the Village Restaurant in Essex when an elderly man began choking on his burger. The three have been close friends since 1985 and had lunch together every Friday. Luckily, they happened to be at one of their favorite spots when someone needed immediate help. They had just ordered their food when the woman began screaming for help and the three men immediately worked together to save a life. In moments, uh, in a moment's notice from across the room, it goes to show it doesn't matter whether you're a police or fire chief, you're, whether or whether you're just a citizen, when it comes right down to it and somebody needs help, guess what? You get in there and you help. There was no need for verbal communication. They could just see the guy was choking. So the three friends uh, helped, uh, you know, I guess do the Heimlich maneuver and got... Uh, got dislodged, saved the man's life. So powerful stuff, folks. Friends hanging out at lunch, all in the right place, and uh, end up uh, helping somebody out that needs it. That really is how simple life can be if you just pay attention to the people around you and do what you can to just lift where you are. That's the ultimate goal, isn't it? That's why we do the show, to help you see the good in the world and to feel the hope and to know that you are part of that good and part of that hope. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. BYU Sports Nation is up next.